It's not that easy being green. Having to spend each day the color of the leaves. When I think it could be nicer being red or yellow or gold or something much more colorful like that. Hello and welcome to episode six of Third Degree Burn podcast that looks at the life, the love, the man, John Byrne. Tonight, we're going to be discussing She-Hulk graphic novel number 18. And with me, I have, as always, Brian Hughes. And we hello. Have a, hello. And we have a special guest, Dave Elliott. No relation. <laughs> of a Fantastic Forecast, a podcaster, and is actually a more, much more experienced podcaster than Brian and myself. Honored to have you here. Thank you. Good to have you on here. Good to be uh, here. Do you want to give us a little... A little about yourself, Dave. What what got you into podcasting? Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, I did. I just started like five years ago. I thought it'd be interesting to do like uh, a podcast on every single episode of the every issue of the Fantastic Four. And so now I'm up to 470 now. That's I know. I just I just listened to your uh, recent. <laughs> that is that is amazing to do that many podcasts. I'm just kind of. I guess maybe I'm like a bit OCD that I have to finish what I've started. Well, that, that's, I guess, my next question. Are you going to, do you see yourself going up to, say, a few months from from now to, like, Secret Wars? Are you going to, up to where they cancel the book, do you see yourself There's continuing? No, I mean, at this point, why stop now? I did 470 that's, issues. There's, like... That's true. Maybe 150 more, I think, or something like that. Well, it's, it's six. Was it six? Did it ever reach 700? No. I didn't think so. The, the final number was, like, 600 and something. Low 600. Such a shame. Such yeah. a shame. It'll be back soon, I'm sure. Oh, and that the big sequel to Fantastic Four comes out, they'll, they'll relaunch it. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. It's, we only got like another year and a half until the Fantastic Four 2 comes out. Yeah. Can't wait. Speaking of that, have you, because you were on our, our uh, WTFF show, our little prequel to Fantastic Four, have you seen the movie since then? <laughs> no, I never did see it. <laughs> you should. I think just for your own, I mean, wait till it comes on cable or Netflix or... Uh, however you watch TV. Uh, well, there's a, there's a second-run movie house near my near my house that shows movies for $2, and it never played there. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good sign. So I guess I'll just wait for Netflix or something. Yeah, it played here at a local theater that pays you to come and watch movies, and they couldn't give away <laughs> tickets. Uh, <laughs> that might be tempting if I got paid. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I remember when, when I was in college, my roommate, worked at a movie theater where he was the guy that put together the spools of film as they came in every Thursday night, getting ready for the new, the new movies to come in on Friday. And so uh, every Thursday night I would go up to the movie theater and at midnight I would sit in one of the screens and watch whatever movie for free just to make sure he put it together. Right. And I got to see some really, really cool movies, you know, before they got released, I actually got to see star Trek four before it got released. But, uh, I also ended up seeing Space Camp for free, and I still feel like I got ripped off. <laughs> and I, I just got a feeling something like that happened to someone watching the Fantastic Four movie. Not only would they feel ripped off, but they'd be going back to uh, Josh Trank to get their money back. Or Fox. <laughs> well, <laughs> but that's just an opinion. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I saw the recent Bond film on Sunday, and... Yeah. I'm not going to spoil anything, but my level of disappointment in the Fantastic Four is about the same as it was with uh, Spectre. Really? Yeah, it was not a lot of potential there, and it, it just it just didn't work. It just did not work. 
I can't imagine it being as bad as Fantastic Four, though. No, no, no. Fantastic Four, I think, is actually a bad film. Spectre is just more just disappointment, you know. Uh, I mean, the Fantastic Four, you can tell that he kind of had an idea. He was trying to do something, and you can almost see the point where the studio the studio stepped in and took it away from him and said, no, you know, yeah, we're exactly. going to do this to it, yeah. That was the best part about the Fantastic Four movie was just reading all the stories about what went wrong and the infighting between the director and the studio and how that movie got messed up. That was just a lot of fun to read those stories. What I really want to know is how do dogs do $100,000 worth of damage to an apartment? Oh, was that his story? That That's one of the stories that came out of this, that the place where he was staying – apartment or, or home or whatever, his dogs tore it up and did $100,000 worth of damage. Well, did, they, <laughs> did they tear up? Did they eat the script and poop it out? Is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, unless it was Lockjaw in there, I don't see they could do that much damage. <laughs> yeah. I, it was, maybe it was the Hulk dogs from uh, <laughs> Ang Lee's movie. <laughs> Someone had to take those dogs. <laughs> oh, no, the Hulk, the Hulk, well, you... He blew one of them apart and killed the other one and broke the other one's jaw, so. True, true. But, you know, that that was probably stunt dogs, you know, for PETA. Couldn't hurt yeah. the real ones. No. It's like, uh, have you ever watched True Lies? Yes. The scene where Arnold's trying to get away from the, in, in the opening sequence, and those two Dobermans come up at him, and he just grabs them both by the head and smacks, smacks the heads together. And if you watch that scene... Uh, you'll you'll re- realize just after he n- knocks the heads together, those are r- rubber dogs. Because <laughs> it's like I'd never really noticed it until like the last time I sat down and watched the movie. Because I was watching everything else rather than the movie itself. I was watching all the the back background stuff. Because like yeah. I know there's a a scene where you can tell that the uh, the matte painting in the back is is rolled up on one side. And, <laughs> you know, there, there's other things that go on in there. And that was one of those things that I just caught right off. I was, Wow, those were rubber dogs. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that in years. <laughs> really? Well, oh, well. De- uh, well, Dave, what about uh, one of the Fantastic Four? Is that just your favorite character's book? or? Well, I wanted to do a podcast, and I just kind of looked around at like what other people were doing, and I didn't see anybody doing a Fantastic Four podcast. I mean, there's several now, but doing the kind of like the same thing. But at the time, I didn't see anyone else doing that. Yeah. And, well, you- Sorry, go ahead. It was just one of those things where I've, I've – I have most of the issues in some form or, the, or another, so I decided, decided to do that. That one. I wish I had done something else, something shorter, like Defenders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Power Man and Iron Fist, the original series, that was what 123 issues or something yeah, like that. Thanks. Yeah, I can be done by now. <laughs> <laughs> well, your show is very uh, is a lot like if you've ever listened to Tom versus Flash or Tom versus. We actually start out with Tom versus. Um, JLA yeah. and Tom versus Flash, and he ended with Tom versus uh, Aquaman. Um, I think that was the podcast that la- launched a thousand other similar podcasts, wasn't it? Yeah, because his format's very similar. It's like twenty minutes, fifteen minutes, and just going, you know, having fun with it, but not making fun of it. You know, like you, yeah. you know, you have fun with the epi- your issues, but you don't. You're not really poking. Well, you do sometimes, but <laughs> you can tell you enjoy it. You just not like you. You well, know. I think you can tell I enjoy some of them, and then I I don't enjoy others. He was yeah. born. He was born. <laughs> yeah, and you just what? You just finished up the Claremont run, and now you're on to uh, uh, Carlos Pacheco. Pache- yeah, Carlos. Yeah, which I've been enjoying. I, I I like those issues quite a bit that I'm doing right now. All right. Anybody got any uh, news? Anything? 
I did hear that, uh, at least I rumored that they have Netflix is not going to go ahead with Iron Fist, and it's rumored that they may go with a Moon Knight. I was hearing Punisher, <laughs> Punisher's own series. Well, I knew Punisher's going to show up in Daredevil, and that'll probably help spin him off. Yeah. Did you say Moon Knight? I said Moon kidding? Knight. No, I'm not. Well, the person that told me that said it with all honesty. So whether that's a, an actual rumor or not, I don't know. But I mean, they're still going forward with Power Man, but they're not going to do Iron Fist, from what I understand. You would think Iron Fist would be a better choice than, than Moon Knight. <laughs> true, true. Uh, in in both cases, it, brother, it's going to be impossible. Be a better choice than Moon Knight. <laughs> yeah, in both cases, it's going to be p- impossible to truly translate a good costume to screen. Because nobody's going to believe anybody's going to go out there in silver or white tights and fight as a as a, a hero in the darkness. And, I mean, Iron Fist's costume has always been, you know, bizarre, bright green, blocking his vision in every direction. And yet there he is, master of the martial arts. I bet if they do Iron Fist, it'll be more of a street-level type clothing. It won't be that green yeah, I mean, leotard. Be like Daredevil's, you know, first outfit, you yeah. know, variation of that. Yeah. Probably not all black. Maybe yeah. they'll go with the all red kind of thing and just have a little nod to the the green and yellow or red and yellow that he did at the end. Yeah, of the Pro- first series. Probably treat it the way if if I know you watch. I don't know if you watch it, Dave. Uh, the Flash. They've been doing. Pre- they're pretty good about translating their the more goofy costumes to an actual practical costume on that show. I haven't seen, I haven't watched The Flash at all. I am really enjoying The Flash so much. Recently, they had a, an episode where they had brought in the Golden Age Flash, the Jay Garrick Flash, and they even, they, they made it the Flash of Two Earths, and they, yeah. they actually recreated that comic book cover where Barry, you know, the Barry Allen Flash is on one side of the brick wall and the Jay Garrick Flash is on the other, and they're both coming around to save the day. Yeah. And, you know, it's just a geekasm beyond compare. Yeah. You know, it was, it was one of those moments you're just like, yeah, whoever's putting the show together really gets it. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's a lot of things, a lot, a lot of questions they don't answer. How's a, you know, a, a particle accelerator become a prison and where do they go to the bathroom while they're there? And, and who's actually standing up for the rights of these people that, you know, they don't get any due process. But beyond that, you know, and, and some of the sillier aspects of the show, because it does have some silly aspects. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. But I'm it, does, uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously, and I think that's the great part of it. But it's not camp like like Batman sixty six or anything like that. No, and I'm actually enjoying it more right now than Shield. I'm I'm a couple episodes behind on Shield, but um, Shield just not doing it for me. Well, you you never know who you're going to get with Shield, and and on Flash, you know they don't pull any punches. We want to show you Gorilla Grodd. Boom, you got Gorilla Grodd. I mean, what was that shark thing that they just that they just did? King Shark. King Shark. I'd never heard of this character, but I was just like, okay, they did it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, you know, they they they're introducing a lot of the the rogues gallery, and they're they're keeping some aspects of them pretty true to the comics. And yeah, it's you know they're not afraid to do that stuff. And I I have to say I'm I'm kind of mad right now because my DVR did not record Supergirl last night. But I, I was under the impression that they were pulling last night's episode in, uh, d- you know, due to what happened in Paris, because it apparently it was supposed to be about a terrorist attack. Oh, I'm, I haven't I haven't seen any of Supergirl because we don't we don't have cable, so I, I can't get CBS on my Hulu. But oh, hmm, maybe I should record them for you. Yeah, <laughs> well, I can buy them on iTunes. But oh, that's right, that's right, two bucks a piece. Yeah, 
Yeah, we ended up doing that with an episode of Flash that didn't record. Something's going on with my DVR. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Direct TV. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think I've taken this far enough off the beaten path. <laughs> okay, you sold me on the Flash. I'll give the Flash a try. Excellent. Flash, Excellent. Flash is my work do- here is done. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. Bye. Yeah. You'll get your commission in the mail. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> do, you you. Wa- do you watch uh, Shield, Dave? I gave up after a season and a half. Last season was really good. Last season was really good. This season has some great moments, and it has some what are they doing moments. But uh, you know that they, they have to they have to find their ways to recover from everything that's gone on in the rest. You know, with with Captain America, uh, with the Winter Soldier, and everything that happened in that, and then what's gone on with the Avengers: Age of Ultron. And they've incorporated all that in there and tried to you know they have to of course recover from that with what Shield is. Or is going to be true. That's true. They're they're kind of they're hampered by the film and being you know they're it's got good and bad being part of this one big uh, Marvel universe because they have to kind of be in service of that and they can't just go off and do whatever they want. So maybe that's what's holding. It's it's, it's same what's happening with uh, current comics. Do you read uh, anything currently, David? You read modern comics or what's going on right now? I've been reading uh, the Secret Wars. I guess what you call it Secret Wars three? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. No, no, no. There was a Secret Wars three. Remember, you covered it. Well, there was an issue with Fantastic Four called that. <laughs> yeah. But. So this would be Secret Wars four. Oh wow! Was Secret Wars three worth a read? Yeah, I think I liked it better than the the current Secret Wars. Hmm. I'm not a big fan of like modern comics. They're just too. There's something about current Marvel comics that I just don't leave me cold. I'm 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 right there with you. I'm all but this is probably the first time in probably thirty years of collecting that I have. I'm actively not buying new Marvel. I'm I'm buying Spider-Man because that's my go-to character and I'll always buy that, but it's just and because the comics are now they seem to exist just to serve the movies. Everything has to tie in with the films and anything that's in the films gets played up more. If it's not, they don't have the rights to it, they're going to downplay it. Yeah. And it's just yeah. kind of flipped. So that's and I don't, you know, I haven't read any of the new 52 really. And they have that silly thing where like every quarter they have like a the accountants say they have to kill somebody off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, next up is Submariner. He's going to die next. I'll tell you this. Uh, I haven't, I have not bought anything with regularity in a while. The only thing being the Star Trek Fumetti that John Byrne is doing. Um, the, but there is a book that I actually, after uh, an article I read today, that I want to go out and check out. And that's Mark Miller or Millar's uh, Huck. And, well, there's a there's a great article that's out there that that Mark wrote, and it talks about you know what is wrong with the the superhero today and what people really like superheroes about. You know the fact that superheroes sprung from the depression, and it was a way of an escapism that gave them hope and everything. And that since the 80s and in the 90s, and he's himself says he's you know partially to blame for a lot of what's going on you know the superhero realm has been a very dark and uh not as much hope of a genre you know there's not as much hope in there as as there used to be yeah his ultimate series kind of really you know has been duplicated a lot lately yeah and so you know he's sitting there saying that what people are wanting is they're wanting a true hero simple as that and he had uh, either read a story or met a fellow that uh, said that in his life that every day he did at least one good deed. And so he created a superhero with that mantra that he would do one good deed a day at least. 
and he get you know like the the heroes before like you know the uh you know Tony Stark with the bad heart or Daredevil that was blind this is a hero with a disability and in this case he was it was actually a mental disability so he's a very simple person and it made the hero very endearing and so you know it's it's one of those articles that talked about all this and it, it really kind of grabbed my attention so i'm going to have to go out and pick up Huck and check it out sounds interesting i haven't I haven't read, read much Millar since, well, I don't know what the last thing I read. Oh, I think the last thing I read was his... Um, Wanted is the last thing I read of his, I remember. No, he did a, a book with called uh, Verses, or a, uh, it, had a, uh, it was ultra-violent and ultra, like most of his stuff. Well, he wrote Kick-Ass, too, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, because, yeah, I've read all that. Yeah, well. I, I had that only mainly because it's Ramita Jr., and I... I up until he started doing Superman, I was a big fan of Ramita Jr., but yeah, that that really stinks. <laughs> but all right, do we want to? I'll give you the floor, Dave, and you can give us a little short, long, however you want to do it. Give us a little synopsis of uh, Marvel graphic number graphic novel number well, eighteen. Do we, we uh, want to give our? Oh. Do we want to give our She-Hulk origin? Oh, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. We'll let we'll let Dave go first for that. Okay. Actually, my. Uh, the first She-Hulk issue that I ever read was Savage She-Hulk number one. Cool. A friend of mine had a copy of it when I was a kid. And as it was like the only like first issue of any Marvel comic that I had ever seen in my life, <laughs> I read it several times. So that was kind of my first exposure to She-Hulk, even though not really a good issue. Mm. And then the next time I saw She-Hulk was when I first started reading Fantastic Four with uh, issue 278 where she really only appears for like a page or two. But uh, that was a really great issue. It was like the origin of Doctor Doom. There was like the destruction of the Baxter building. There was all the crazy stuff with like the racist signs all over the city. <laughs> so I started reading the book then, and then I kind of like, oh, wow, She-Hulk is you know really good in this. I, you know, And it's really John Byrne's She-Hulk is the one that I like. I don't, any other She-Hulk I've not been all that interested in. All their other solo series that they've tried, Every few years, they launch a different solo series that I just I try an issue or two, but I just can't get into it. I'd heard the Dan Slott uh, series was supposed to be pretty good. I haven't read it, but I heard I've heard good things about it. Yeah, I tried it. I, I couldn't get into it either. Hmm. Well, I think I agree that I think from what I've read, I think Byrne handles the character probably better than anybody yeah. else. Uh, he definitely made the character his own. Yeah, and the one issue that I, I read that after I first started reading it, I went back and I started buying some of the back issues. And there was the issue 275, which had the called the Naked Truth, mm-hmm. where the <laughs> where the paparazzi snaps a, a topless photo of the She-Hulk. And so the entire issue was just her trying to get that <laughs> nude photo back from the from the photographer. And that was like a really like that is a bizarre comic book. <laughs> it was quite entertaining. So. So yeah, when they had like a She-Hulk graphic novel, I was like, okay, I gotta buy that, and then regular She-Hulk series. So that's basically how I discovered yeah. She-Hulk. Brian, well, I um around 1980 when Savage She-Hulk number one came out, uh, I had really started uh, collecting comic books in a big way. But I actually didn't go out of my way for that one. My brother did. My brother, who's never ever looked at a comic book or anything, buys that one because it's a number one. And he says it's going to be worth a lot of money when you know in a, in a few years. And, and now he uh, sold it, retired off that money. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's one of those things where every couple of years he goes, "Hey, is that work book worth anything?" And I'd say, "Yeah, about twelve cents." 
<laughs> you know, because it never really, really went up in value. Of course, now, you know, if you get it graded and everything, you know, it's worth a hundred bucks, but that's only if it's in like mint condition or whatever. But, you know, that's nine point nine. Yeah, you got to keep it hermetically sealed and in a time capsule vault that doesn't get open for another 30 years or, you know, whatever. But um, so I, I, you know, the thing was is that I actually read his issue and I liked it so much that I went out and bought my own and I kept up with the series for a while, you know. Um, I did eventually lose interest and I think, I, I'm not sure if it was the writer change or the artist change because I think Sal Basima was the initial artist, wasn't it? John. John. It was yeah. John Basima, okay. Um, but, uh, you know, something changed and I didn't care for it and so I just, you know, stopped reading the book and of course, uh, with Burn on Fantastic Four, actually, uh, my next exposure to her was Secret Wars, the original Secret Wars because she was in that and I mean, she really, they didn't give her a whole lot of personality there, but then they took her right over into Fantastic Four. And of course, you know how she did there. And then of course, when Byrne did the, the, his first series with her and he did, I think what the first nine issues before he quit. And then came back and did. Did, came back and did about 16 more issues. Yeah. In the thirties, like 30 yeah. to 50, something like that. Like 32 to 50 or 34 to 50, something like that. And, uh, I, I collected all those, but I did not collect the others that were done by the other artists. I just, you know, I had no interest in, in seeing anybody else try to do what Byrne was doing because he was doing something that wasn't being done uh, by anybody else. And when someone else tried to do it, it's just them trying to ape Byrne. Yeah. Well, so he was, was like continually yeah. breaking the fourth wall on yes. that one. So, Yes. And, you know, to me, he, he, it was it was Ferris Bueller in a comic book. And <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoyed that. So, uh, you know, it's like so, I, but I've always had a soft spot for the She-Hulk. But it's it, like, like you said, Dave, it's burned She-Hulk that yeah. you've got a soft spot for, and uh, it's because of the way he he handles the character and the way that she enjoys what she is and who she yeah. is. And you know, it's it, you know, you've got other characters like Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four, and they got definitely different feelings about what they are and why they are and all that. She just goes with it, you know. It's not like the thing who's grumpy and, and all that about being the thing. And it's not like Spider-Man or oh, woe is me. And don't get me wrong. I've got enough. Oh, woe is me to, you know, fill up a, a, a piggy bank and about 6,000 others. But, <laughs> and so I really identify with Spider-Man, but I like the book where the hero actually has fun with being what they are. Yeah. And that's, that's what she did. So it was really, really enjoyable for me. Uh, I, I always kind of enjoyed that. Uh, well, my, like Dave, I didn't buy issue one, but I remember I have a vivid, vivid memory of seeing it at a drugstore, picking up, thumbing through it, but I wasn't really reading or collecting comics at the time. So I must, I just put it back down. And I think like you, Brian, I came across uh, her in Secret Wars. That's when I started, started collecting about 80, late 83, 84. <clears throat> and probably from there, then I, I was also collecting X-Men at the time. So then of course, when you, Get the X Men. You got to go to the Claremont Burn X Men, and from there, I think I fell in love with Burn, and then I went to Fantastic Four, and then she was already in it. I think I started collecting just before Secret Wars two, uh, and I just stayed with him. You know, stayed with his run until I stayed with his run after he left, maybe about a little after three hundred. Then I jumped ship, and then came back when Simonson came on, and then jumped ship again. But yeah, I've, and then I I just from. I mainly picked this up because it was a burn book. It wasn't necessarily because I liked She-Hulk, although I think this is a really fun story. Uh, I picked it up because it was burn. And I want to ask, There's I noticed that there's a... He did another graphic novel, it's not She-Hulk, but he did one 
uh, couple years before that. Super boxers. Have you read it or do you know anything about that? Or I, I've actually I bought it and read it when it came out. Um, I of course was uh, unhappy that uh, Ron Wilson had done the artwork, but actually. The artwork in it is, is not bad, and it's a decent story, but it's not a typical Marvel story. It doesn't really, if I remember right, it doesn't really take place in the Marvel universe. It's in its own world. Yeah, and um, but you know, it's just it, it's it's one of those things where uh, I, I read it, I enjoyed it, but I never went back and read it again. But the the thing I'd say about the art in that is, you know, I, if I remember right, it was also kind of a painted art rather than penciled art. Uh, so it looked a lot better than than Ron Wilson's art, say in the the Thing comic book or uh, Marvel Two and One. Yeah, and uh, I think he did all the art. He didn't have anybody ink it or anything. Like I said, it seemed more like it was painted, if I remember right, or it's done in the same kind of uh, way that um, Brent Anderson did the uh, God Loves Man Kills, that kind of style. That so was I'm, my that was my first graphic novel. Yeah. Oh, and that's, that's one of what, my favorite. Yeah, that's what got me into the uh, the X Men. Well, I'm just going to bounce us all over the place tonight, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, that's what podcasting is about. But, you know, it's funny. I, I don't remember buying the, the She-Hulk graphic novel when it first came out. I remember getting it years later. And I remember looking at that front cover and thinking, you know, I wonder if he used Zap from American Gladiators as his model for that. But, you know, it actually comes out that Zap was actually uh, more muscular than She-Hulk was, more pronounced, especially around the neck and the, and the upper body. She oh, yeah. got, got a, mm-hmm. a bodybuilder look, but it's still very, very effeminate. Whereas Zap was always going for a female Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, look to yeah. quote the movie Skin Deep. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't have that bodybuilder neck that no. accentuates the traps. Yep. Let's take a little one. We take a, uh, a quick break and we'll come back and we'll let uh, Dave dive into this. Excellent. Okay. We'll be right back. Okay. Okay, doing the new promo. Do not say take the dare. Do not say take the dare. Okay, go. Hello, darling. Nice to see ya. It's me, J. David Weeder, the Conway Twitty of podcasting. But please call me Dave. I host a show called Dave's Daredevil Podcast, where I talk about Marvel's Man Without Fear and Netflix superstar Daredevil. But I'm here to tell you that things have changed. Don't worry, I've still got more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at and a desperado love for Daredevil. And episodes of the show still come out each and every Sunday. But now, Dave's Daredevil Podcast is part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. That's right, the show can now be found at twotruefreaks.com, home of Earth's mightiest podcasts. And if you haven't tried the show before, I see the want to in your eyes. So take the time to check out Dave's Daredevil Podcast, because sometimes you need a podcaster with a slow hand. Dave's Daredevil Podcast, every Sunday at twotruefreaks.com. Dot com. Take the dare. I have no self-control. And we're back. We are going to turn the floor over to Dave, and he's going to tell us all about the sensational She-Hulk. Okay, it's Marvel Graphic Novel 18, the sensational She-Hulk from 1985, writer-artist John Byrne. The story starts with a one-page setup with three panels showing events that will have an, an important impact on the story, including one, a nuclear bomb being tested in Nevada, two, an old prospector named Will Campbell lost in the desert. Actually, having read this, I really don't know what that has to do with the issue. And three, a young Jennifer Walters meeting her cousin Bruce Banner for the first time. 
So in the next scene, Nick Fury is conferring with his bosses at S.H.I.E.L.D. and a committee of mysteriously blurred faces on a series of TV monitors. They want Nick to oversee some kind of project involving the She-Hulk, worried that she might be a menace like her cousin, the Hulk. Nick isn't too keen on the project, and he says that the, if the FF have allowed the She-Hulk to be a member, she must be an okay chick. The committee says that the orders come from the president himself. Nick Fury says that now will be a good time to take some of the many years of vacation time that he's got saved up, and he leaves in a huff and a puff of cigar smoke. John Byrne knows that if you're going to do a story where the bad guys are shield, he's going to have to get rid of Nick Fury very quickly, and so we never see him again for the rest of the story. And next up, Wyatt Wingfoot shows up at the She-Hulk's apartment to take her out on a date. Wyatt has just been to the grocery store, and like anyone in a movie, TV show, or comic book, He's got a baguette sticking out of the sticking out of the top of one of his grocery bags. For some reason, in any and all fictional universes, no one can go no one can go to the store without buying a baguette, can they? They always gotta have that big loaf of bread. She <laughs> Hulk is, is in a bad mood, telling Wyatt that the next day is Bruce Banner's birthday, and she's worried about whatever happened to him. I think at this time, wasn't he trapped in like the, the crossroads universe or something? Yes. Yeah, I think that's where he was. This was probably before John Byrne brought him back to Earth. So, um, to cheer her up, he's got tickets to a show, but she has other ideas first. She picks him up and carries him off to the bedroom for some sexy time action. And up on the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, She-Hulk's movements are being tracked, and the mission is being led by Dum Dum Dugan. Whatever operation they have going on is about to begin. Back in She-Hulk's apartment, Sexy time is over. She-Hulk comes out wearing a very revealing outfit. Basically, a white swimsuit with a vest and a bow tie. Apparently, this is like acceptable Broadway show attire. For her. Not for me. I showed up for a performance of The Lion King last year wearing a Speedo and a bow tie, and they wouldn't let me in. <laughs> Maybe I needed a vest or something. So they get in a car, and they go to, they go to the East Village. And I wonder, what kind of show are they going to see in the East Village in the 1980s? A live sex show? <laughs> in the dialogue, She-Hulk mentions that she can turn back and forth between her, her human self and the She-Hulk, but she much prefers being the She-Hulk, and she stays that way pretty much the entire time. In her case, it is easy being green, and it looks like they're on the way to see some kind of off-Broadway production of Little Shop of Horrors when three yellow-armored S.H.I.E.L.D. goons teleport in their path. They sit down, and they discuss things for a bit calmly. No, actually, they just fight. And chaos ensues, cars are destroyed, heads are clanked together, and White Wingfoot tries to get in on the action, and he tries to punch out, like, one of the mandroids. Is that what they're called, mandroids? Yeah, I think. mandroids. Yeah. yeah. And in the end, all three S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, and the She-Hulk, and White Wingfoot, and several civilians are teleported up into the helicarrier. Now, I'm not sure why they just didn't teleport She-Hulk up to, in the first place, instead of allowing that fight to happen for, like, several pages. Once aboard, She-Hulk tries to escape with Wyatt and the civilians by ripping a hole in the wall, leading them, in, leading them into some kind of maintenance tunnel. One of the civilians is an old man who lags behind. He pulls off his white beard, and he looks to be like some kind of zombie creature. I think this is the old prospector we saw at the beginning of the issue. Yes. And at this point, She-Hulk and, and Wyatt Wingfoot don't know where they are until they reach the deck. They look down, and they see that they're high up in the helicarrier. Soon, they're surrounded by armored shield agents, armed shield agents, and a, and a douchey guy in charge. He orders the She-Hulk to strip, which she's not inclined to do. 
When he holds a gun to Wyatt's head and orders her again, this time she unzips, releasing her watermelons for the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to ogle at in amazement. She asks, we don't actually see them, the agents do. She asks, maybe you'd like me to jump rope for you? And this naked jump roping thing would become like a recurring gag over in his ongoing series a few years later. Dum Dum Dugan arrives and is horrified to see that Agent Dooley, the douchey guy in charge, has made She-Hulk strip, calling it a gross misuse of authority. And Dugan is going to file a report. Of course, if Dooley loses his job, he can always find a, a similar job working at the airport security. Later, Wyatt and the She-Hulk are in Dugan's office, and he tells them it was a it was in order to pick her up for an analysis, with the government thinking that She-Hulk might pose a danger. Next, Dugan gets a call, ordering him back to Washington, leaving Agent Dooley, the pervert, in charge. So it's off to the lab for an analysis, where once again, she has to take off her clothes. Even though the doctor, I think his name is Dr. Gaffer? Yeah. Doing the exam, he says, it's not needed for her to get naked. You know, sometimes writers will stick a person into a story that serves as a surrogate for the writer. I think in this story, Agent Dooley is John Byrne's surrogate. <laughs> always, <laughs> always making the She-Hulk take her clothes off. So they got Wyatt Wingfoot locked up in a cell, and they bring in She-Hulk after the examination, and it looks more like she was tortured. Cause she looks like she's in bad shape. She tells Wyatt that she was prodded and probed in places that she didn't even know she had. And I bet White Wingfoot is wondering what those places are, because that sounds intriguing. So they're in this jail cell, and the room is filled with cyanide, and the room will fill with cyanide gas if the weight in the cell changes. So they have White Wingfoot stand on some boxes, and he pushes up against the ceiling to increase the pressure on the floor as the She-Hulk changes back into her human self. And as a little lady, she crawls through the bars, and she turns off the security systems. Next, she has, she has to leave Wyatt behind, and still in her human form, she goes strolling through the hel helicarrier unnoticed until somebody notices that her she has bare feet. So they sound the alarm, Agent Dooley is ordering his men to get down there, and he runs around a corner and smack dab into that zombie guy who kisses Dooley on the lips. And this may be the first male-male kiss in a Marvel Comics history that I can, I can imagine. Even a French kiss. Yeah, right on the lips. That's like tongue action, I think. <laughs> so meanwhile, Jennifer turns back into She-Hulk and finds the, dire the director's office. And on the monitor, it seems that Dooley had been watching a video of She-Hulk naked and being tortured. Thankfully, this was before something like that could be uploaded to Xtube all over the, for the world to see. <laughs> She's able to e eject the, the tape and crumble it up. And suddenly, the helicarrier tilts on his side and is out of control. Chaos erupts. They try to launch all the planes off the deck of the helicarrier before they slide off. And it's too late for one of them. It slides off, lands on a donut shop called Stir Donut. And planes are crashing all over the place, exploding. She-Hulk finds herself face-to-face -face with some agents who shield, who have been ordered to shoot her to shoot to kill. So they shoot at her, but the only thing they kill is She-Hulk's shirt. There's barely enough clothes left to keep this from being the highest selling comic book of the 1980s <laughs> you know this is a graphic novel they could have showed it you know right well, helpful they, they almost do i mean you, you you pretty get an idea of what's going on there i don't think it's code approved so well, it's, it's not code approved but yeah. uh it doesn't have any warnings either <laughs> yeah so a helpful agent assists she-hulk in finding something to wear she heads outside and climbs on the side of the helicarrier until she finds zombie dually He's been, he's been infected by that other zombie, and he's a, a zombie now. He opens up and gives her a big kiss, and in his mouth, is it's full of cockroaches. 
I guess the cockroaches travel from body to body, taking it over. So she, toss she tosses him aside, and his chest bursts open, and a bunch of cockroaches spill out. With Dooley and the super cockroaches defeated, the helicarrier is still out of control. I'm still not exactly sure why. Do you guys understand why the, the helicarrier is out of control? Yeah, he shut down the uh, the props on one side. Dooley did that? They, they, yeah, they, they, they keep the ballast, and so they ended up having to shut him down on the other side so it would go straight down. Okay. The gyros would keep it uh, steady, and then they uh, reversed the tractor beam they had on bottom to push against the ground so it wouldn't uh, slam down real hard. Okay, that sounds very complicated, and I'm sure that's why I missed it. Everyone escapes in escape pods as the helicarrier topples over and very dramatically falls to the ground. She-Hulk, along with Wyatt Wingfoot, crawl out of the wreckage, and the doctor tells them that the helicarrier's atomic engines are about to explode, vaporizing everything within 100 miles. So She-Hulk has to crawl back into the ship, rip through a bunch of metal doors, step on some more cockroaches, find the room filled with radiation and shut it down before it explodes. The cockroaches get very aggressive, and she emerges from the wreckage after saving the day, covered in smushed up cockroaches. Uh-oh. I'm sorry. Was that your auntie? Oh, then that must mean that that's your uncle then, huh? Oh, you know y'all look alike. And so now, three days later, Reed Richards is running some tests on her and tells her he has some bad news. The exposure to the radiation affected her and she could no longer turn back into a human ever again. In a, in, a, in a really nice page that I like, we see her just sitting there for a, few, for a minute and she finally replies, so what's the bad news? So then seven hours later, She-Hulk is getting a foot massage from White Wingfoot and there's still something that baffles her. The cockroach zombie was teleported up to the helicarrier with her and Wyatt. So how did the cockroach zombie know when and where to be to get teleported up to the ship in the first place? It's like they knew what shield was going to do and when they were going to do it. Bum, bum, uh. <laughs> it seems to be setting up some like a uh, some kind of like further story that never happened. You know, secret cockroach invasion. But and that was the end of this, the graphic novel. Very good synopsis. Yes. So what did I? So what do you guys think? Huh. Uh, Brian, you go first. Give us your idea. Well, your you, you know, going back to when when I initially read it, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I I, I did think that I, I didn't necessarily like uh, Demolder's inks on Burns' work as much as I liked some of the other artists, uh, some of the other inkers on it. Um, but you know, in all in all, I think that Burns' work is more uh, suited for the regular comic book page than an expanded book, an oversized book, or whatever. When you stretch it out, it seems to lose some of the detail, uh, the finer points of the detail. That being said, though, when he has a full page to sit there and show Jen, you know, there, like when she's sitting there just with her arms around herself, like we've seen her in Fantastic Four, uh, you know, that's a great shot. It's almost like he had someone standing there modeling it for him. Um, but, you know, as, as the book goes on, you know, the art is consistent. It's beautiful. Uh Never, never distracting. I really, really enjoyed it. The one thing, you know, there, there's things in here, though, that that begged a couple questions, you know, because they, they said things that made you wonder if, if there was a story before this that you could sit there and go back to, like the, the Will Campbell prospector. Was there something, you know, else related to that? Why did we have to know his name? Um, the scar on Dooley's face, where'd that come from? Has he been seen before? 
you know, and and then the 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 scientist Gaffer was that a, a nod towards the uh, works of Tolkien, or was that just a you know some some he knew somebody by that name because he's he has a, a penchant for using names of friends and, and other people in the stories. So you know, just the, the, those the, those are the kind of things that really stood out to me. Do you guys know um, if you've ever seen Gaffer or Dooley ever before this? I can't recall ever seeing ever seeing him before in that. According um, to um, well, according to the wiki, Dooley, I think is his. This is his first and only. I don't buy Gaffer, but I don't think Dooley's okay. ever is in this only. And yeah. I guess the scar was just to show, hey, he's a bad guy. Yeah, I didn't understand that. It, it, yeah. does, it almost doesn't look like a scar. It almost looks like he's starting, like he's already infected. You know, that he's starting to kind of looks almost like a rotted flesh or just it was just an odd it is an odd choice maybe it, you're right maybe it's just to show that he's a he's yeah a, he's a bad guy or of course you have to wonder how this guy ever made it past any kind of screening process or shield has those screening process if this this pervert got into this rank you know this high rank at shield yeah now another thing i found out about this though is that um John Byrne stopped writing the Thing series so that he could concentrate on this. And in the letter column for Thing 29, this was, he said, this was originally intended to be a limited series. But somewhere along the way, they changed it and just decided to go ahead and make it a graphic, graphic novel. novel. Yeah. I didn't know that. I, do, I know this is, this is like a month or two before he takes over the Hulk book. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that is the perfect ex- explanation for where the Hulk was. Yeah. Because we know that the Hulk was at the crossroads of the Eternities uh, right before. Uh, Burn took over, and you think there would be an editor's note because this is still in the age when they were doing that. That would let you, hey, go, you know, to find out what happened to the Hulk, go check out, you know, issue something, something. So yeah, but and also as Dave brought up, you know, this this uh, particular issue, along with that Fantastic Four issue, really, you know, underscored Burns' uh, like to to put her in in you know sexy situations. Um, and I'd read somewhere else where someone said it would, you know, they didn't use the word misogynist or anything like that, but they did seem to sit there and say that, you know, it, it, it was him and other comic book writers who had a tendency to put women in, in positions that they would never put men characters in. But, you know, and, and I sit there and I say, you know, okay, that's all fine and dandy. You know, they, they, they do stuff like this to, to them, but look what they do to Peter Parker. Kill Gwen Stacy, kill Uncle Ben, kill, just kill anybody that he gets close to. Like, why not? You know, or mess him up mentally or whatever, like Deb Whitman or, I mean, you know, Harry Osborne, you know, just because uh, it, you know, th- there's different things you're going to have happen to a woman than what you're going to have happen to a guy. But, well, well if <clears throat> talking about, you know, Maybe possibly being, you know, misogynistic. Look what, but look what Byrne did with Sue Storm. You know, he turned her into a, one of the strongest characters on the FF at the time. That's yes, certainly he, different than the way he also, he also put her in a dominatrix outfit when he did it. Well, yeah, but that's, <laughs> I'm sure that's, that's again, like he wants to see the She Hulk undressed. I'm sure well, that's got to sell comics somehow. <laughs> it's true. There, there was, there was actually, you know, the, there was controversy about whether or not you can see a, a nipple in the segment where her, her smock gets shot up. Oh, it's obvious you can I, I don't think there's any question you can't you can see one. If if you want if you if you were to read it in black and white it'd be a lot more obvious. Same thing happened in um, X Men one twenty three with Storm. That was when uh, Arcade was kidnapping all the X Men. And if you read it in black and white, it's just basically Storm's naked. Whereas she's actually wearing like a bath towel or something. 
but you know it's 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 things that happen it's like if you read if you read the work in black and white you you see obviously what what you know you're not supposed to see because color can uh you know block all that out yeah i'm looking at it now you can definitely see some nip <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah even if it's black and white i mean you can see a little darker green but you can also see the shading and the way he's drawn it round i mean that's definitely but the uh so I'm going to bring up the coloring in this is different than coloring in a standard book. It looks a little more uh, watercolor-like. There's a little yes. more tone that's not a flat color. Yeah, I really that, like that. They did that with a lot of graphic novels. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah, that, that, that was my point about like Super yeah. Boxers and God Loves Man Kills. I really love it, that kind of style of coloring. Yeah. Actually, I think it looks better here than it does in modern comics with all the digital coloring you're doing now. Yeah, well, the modern digital coloring kind of like overpowers the artwork sometimes. Yeah, this is really, really good stuff. Really like the. Yeah, I, I like I like the the when when they're out and about in New York. I like the way New York looks because you can tell this is before all the gentrification. You know, there, there's cool stuff, there's pretty stuff, there's ugly stuff, there's dirty stuff. Now, let me ask you here: I'm, uh, if you look on page twelve. That's when Wyatt and She-Hulk are walking down the street as they're going to their play. Is there on, at the top of the page in the middle of the panel? There's a guy under the tree. Is that the prospector? I, I think, don't think it, that is. Uh, it? Well, if you look further, the prospector does have a bag. I think. I think you are right. Yeah. Brian. If you look, if you look again on page 19, the prospector is at the far right, and he's wearing a big coat and a hat. And he's got a bag. He's got yeah. yeah that is him. You're right. I never, well, until and so I, he he notices her there and just starts following her because he realizes that she'd be the perfect vessel. Well, he's probably she probably okay. That makes sense. Yeah, she, they don't explain that in the story, but that actually makes sense. She probably admits a low level of gamma radiation, and the cockroaches seem to thrive on that. So yep, exactly. Yeah. Which I think would be nicer if instead of it being an atomic bomb, they're trying to establish that these cockroaches were created when this bomb went off back in you know like late fifties, forty five. Oh, not forty five. Whenever it went off, what if it'd been more interesting if these were created by the gamma bomb that went off? So they were gamma radiated cockroaches instead of just. But yeah, we, we know that wasn't the case though because the at the very point where the bomb goes off and the prospectors out in the mountains, that's when. Uh, Jen and Bruce first, you know, meet for the first time. Yeah, I realize it's not, and but I think it'd been, yeah. it would have been nicer if it was a gamma bomb. That would maybe tie in more why he's attracted to her. Yeah, that that would that wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah, and it could have still been in that sliding time scale of Marvel. It still could have been early '60s when that happened. And yeah, and speaking of the two kids, this is some more. My first note was more of these stocky kids that Byrne draws. It's that style he drew when he drew Franklin. That he yeah. yep. never quite got. They're almost. They almost look like. Hate to say, it, dwarfs or or little people. They don't look. They don't look like kids. You know. I don't know. I think. They, I think he draws good looking. I mean, good kids. You never thought he drew when he draws Franklin. He draw his. I mean, at least his, they don't look like adults. No, no. Yeah, yeah I agree that. But his arm. To me, it's like his. Their limbs have always looked too. Instead thick of looking like a child. Instead of looking like a child, they look like a little person. Yeah, I mean, you could see you you could see a little person playing their role rather than a kid playing their role. Yeah, well, the, he is the faces are fine. It look it looks like a child's yeah. face, but I think it's the body that I have a problem with. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, and let me ask you guys this: when you first read this, 
beginning where where uh, Nick Fury storms out, and I, I agree with what you said, Dave, that they're you know Shield's gonna be the bad guy. They got to get rid of Nick Fury. I thought, okay, well he's gonna he's gonna be gone. He's gonna come in at the end of the story and save the day because he's been working behind the scenes to try to either save or 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 stop what they've been doing. And no, we just never see him again. Yeah, I think that the uh, that the, the the ramifications of this story carried on into other Marvel books that were out at that that period of time, and Marvel is really good about incorporating all that. So if, if I remember right, and, and I'm trying to remember where where I, don't, I remember if it was Iron Man or Captain America, but there was ramifications that went through the other books based on this. Now, now did they have only one helicarrier? Was that the only helicarrier they had that got destroyed? If you read. Power Man and Iron Fist at the time um, makes you wonder. Because uh, the thing is, like, there was another helicarrier out there real quick, if I remember. Because after yeah, that, there, another one. Yeah. Yeah. After that, you know, another one showed up. Now, my question is is this the first time that we see the, the floating heads in silhouette like we saw in the Avengers? It's the first time that I can remember. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think it ever, I don't remember before this ever. You see anything dealing with Nick Fury and his higher ups? Right. I think this is. I, I'm wondering if this right here is what was inspired. Was what inspired Joss Whedon in the movie? If he had the, this in mind when he was sitting there putting together the the Avengers. Yeah. Well, that, that that's this is kind of a, a trope that's done before. I mean, look at it's, it's to me, it's a lot like Superman the movie. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, see, I never read the the Steranko stuff, so I don't I don't know if they had anything like that in there, but just. You know the helicarrier going out of control in the sky. The the again the the heads in silhouette and, and all that were, were, were things I saw in the Avengers movie. And it's just like, yeah, that seems just right. I don't, I don't know if this is the first place or not. It's my first exposure to it. So you know, but now I'm I think I'm going to have to go back and look at the Stranko stuff because I've always wanted to read that and I never got around to it. Yeah, I've I've read that. I don't recall the, any mysterious you know bosses like that. You always get the impression that it was it was like the president, and then Nick Fury, that that was the chain of command. That he yeah, was, that was always my impression as yeah. well. And then on page five, when Nick Fury's uh, leaning back there, you got some good burn tech, that old desk yes. and all that stuff he's got. Yeah, I was thinking on that other sequence on page nine, not sequence, but that one, that very first panel on page nine. Where they got the thing looking at the map of New York and it's supposed to be pinpointing her location and everything. I think that was really, really cool setup what they got there. I'd want that TV in my house. <laughs> if that is a TV. Well, it's like a magnifying glass. So I would think maybe at this point it's an actual physical map that they are trying to pinpoint. Yeah, but you think if it's tracking She-Hulk, it would have speed lines going back and forth or up and down. Uh, well, how does She-Hulk <laughs> afford an apartment right there on the Central Park like that? She gets paid a thousand dollars a week. Does she really? Yeah, um, in, in it was it was in an issue of either the Avengers or Spider Man. She was jogging, and Spider Man comes up beside her. Hey, Shulky, how's it going? And you know they're just talking and everything, and she's going, "Yeah, I got to find an apartment. It's real hard hard to find one on a thousand dollars a week." And, and that's what inspired Spider Man to try to join the Avengers because he would really like to get paid, you know. But well, still um, at 52, if I remember right, though, here, I don't know if you can afford that kind of apartment. <laughs> not on the not on I, the uh, park, I don't think. Even in the eighties. Yeah, but if if I remember though, uh, she was staying in Janet Van Den's apartment. Yeah, later in the in and, the regular series. Yeah, she does that, have I, I, the yeah, but I, I don't know if that's apartment. this one or not. But then again, she's she was a, a but you know before she she Hulk she was a lawyer. But then again, she was DA, and that's how she got shot. They didn't necessarily get paid that much. 
Well, she is sharing this room, this apartment with Wyatt, so we don't know how it kind of... Doesn't he come from money? I know he's... Or does he? I can't... Oh, that, and that's right. She is with the Fantastic Four, so that, you know, again, that's... You know, they're either broke or they're, or they're you know, <laughs> swimming in money. So they, they are at times broke and then rich, broke, rich, broke, rich. Yes. It's whatever suits the story. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and she's the kind of person that would revel in all that. So she's going to want to live in Manhattan. But yeah, a place like that would still be, you know, a couple million. Unless it's rent controlled. Dang, that'd be nice. You got to get in on the ground floor mm-hmm. on that. She's probably subletting. <laughs> Maybe Tony Stark's letting her stay. Maybe it's his. Maybe it's his place. Well, that's possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, on page ten, seeing White dress up, I keep thinking he's got a ponytail. I don't know why. It's the way he's got his hair pulled, they're drawn. But I got a real strong Steven Seagal vibe from the way he's dressed there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the pulled back hair. Yeah, I you know the the character White Wingfoot. I mean, I seen him in the Fantastic Four during the Burn Run, but I never read any of the stuff that that he was in before. And I'm assuming that was in the Kirby days when they had White Wingfoot as you know there with the Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah mostly the Kirby days. And I, I never really understood his whole place. I know he was close friends with them and everything, but and then he was part you know partner with them somehow. But Aren't, I never really understood his his whole place in the thing. Wasn't he a friend of Johnny's? He was Johnny's college roommate. I think. Yeah. But Johnny was only went to college for like a semester. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they became best buddies. Well, he's gone back. Then Johnny gone back to college several times whenever yeah. the story needs it. It's really like the only male friend that Johnny's ever had other than the outside of the Fantastic Four. And he's, just, okay. he's just lucky he's not a redhead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then Johnny would try to bang him. <laughs> now, I'd never caught this until just now. But looking at that, that big shot on page 10. She's got a kerchief, a handkerchief in her, uh, or a flower or something on her, uh, whatever you want to call that, jacket. Jacket. And it's the same color as the curtains that are right behind her. Yeah. Well, that, that's, and, a, that's a, I think that's the, uh, the shower curtain. Yeah, the shower, yeah, it's the yeah. shower curtain. And, and, and I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you can see, you know, there between her arm and, and the, the, the jacket, a little bit of the curtain peeking in. But then you got that, that thing up there, whether it's a kerchief, handkerchief or whatever sticking out. Are you saying uh, that she ripped off part of the shower curtain and put it in her pocket? <laughs> yeah, that's what it kind of looks like, but no, I don't think so. I, I, I just think it was, um, you know, I mean, the, the coloring choice there should have been different. Yeah. Well, it should have been red. Well, she's probably in the mirror. Look at herself and says, "This outfit needs a little pop of color." And just rips it off and, but, well, her. Uh, if you also look, her um, uh, cufflinks are the same color. Yeah, and she's got kind of a Zatanna thing going. If she had some fishnet hose on. Yep. Uh, someone used to write him a letter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I, I immediately thought of you, Dave, when this taxi guys, you know, one. I don't think these guys are getting. They should be pretty jaded by now with all the stuff going on in uh, yeah. in uh, New York. But I was thinking uh, he wasn't worried about Doctor Doom. He was just lucky. He was lucky the thing wasn't in his cab. <laughs> I like that. My noise is shot. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the punk rockers in the previous panel. Uh, yeah, that's a, isn't that a little late for 1985. Uh, I don't know. It, like it, again, it, it is New York, so the end of the punk rock. I think that's supposed that's let us know it's the East Village. It's supposed to. I know, but she's got kind of a Lady Gaga look. <laughs> yeah, she almost looks like somebody too. Like he's drawn her from a reference. The guy just looks. Yeah. Like he's right out of Mad Max. Yep, yep. Or actually, out of uh, Dark Knight Returns, he looks like one of the mutants almost. 
except he's got too much hair. Yeah. <laughs> now I like this. I've always liked the mandroids, uh, you know, for, for use in a, in a comic, but you know, I, I'd like to see him actually be the good guys for once. I mean, weren't they always supposed to be good guys and yet bad guys always got control of the, of the, of the armor. Well, <clears throat> wasn't that part of, uh, armor wars when Stark was going around destroying all his technology? Yeah. Well, this whole scene with the androids, I thought it was very similar to the scene in uh, X-Men 129 when mm-hmm. the um, Hellfire Club guys are going in and trying to uh, take out the X-Men or capture them. Yeah. Except they've got, theirs are red, red or kind of a pinkish armor, I think. It's not enough to go back and look at that. But, uh, no, the, the battle with those guys um, is really, really cool, but... They've got that – the one thing that Byrne really likes to do, and he does it on page 18 right there in the middle where she grabs two of them and slams them together above her head. And I've seen her do that, and I've seen Superman do that, and Captain America's done it. <laughs> I really like the panel on the page before that where she's picking up the car and, yes. and slamming it against the, the mandroid, and you see, like, the bottom of the car. Uh, that's a fantastic drawing. Yes. That, a great it, detail. I was got, thinking like, a lot of detail on the underside of a car, like <laughs> – yeah, but I was thinking that, that, that how how he makes her very hulky in the way that she does that. You know, just the way the muscles on her stick out and everything. That she's more hulkish there than I've seen her in anything else. But that's just you know the way I see it, looking at it. Yeah, he definitely draws the for her when she's flexing her muscles. Yep. And I thought when we were talking about they're clanking the two guys' heads together, that clung he's got underneath. I noticed throughout this, he kind of plays a lot with his sound effect words. If he did, I don't know if he did that, if the letter did that, but that looks like something probably he would do. But he yeah, seems to have a lot of fun with the way he's... Uh, well, yeah, there's like a metallic kind of sheen on the, the clung. Yeah. You don't normally see that in sound effects. <laughs> no. And what's funny is I didn't, until I think I read this to get ready for the show, I never put together that the prospector teleported up with him. Of course, that's how crux the story. So I didn't, why I didn't question, how the hell did he get on the helicarrier? But I never, I never made that connection. Hmm. It is still kind of a, a coincidence that he just kind of showed up at the right place at the right time. Yeah, and that's I don't that's what she means at the end. Is she, yeah, and I think John Byrne just, just tries to cover this up at the very end by saying, "Oh yeah, it's a coincidence." <laughs> or is it because those cockroaches are looking in on them? Is he implying I, that there's like the network of cockroaches that are all talking, and they're that's how they knew what Shield was going to? I don't know. Well, I yeah, do he's, find maybe it. Should have established that the cockroaches were kind of like following She-Hulk as well. Yeah, yeah, because they said they needed a body that was resilient. Yeah, resilient and full of the juices I, of life, as they say. And maybe there's some kind of relationship. Yeah. On page 19, if you notice, when they get transported up, it's right next to Khan's grocery and candy. Khan. Okay. <laughs> it is Khan. <laughs> Like maybe I'm there's sorry. some kind of relationship between the the cockroach monster and the people at Shield who ordered the research being done on the She-Hulk in the first place. Like maybe that's something they could have, you know, that could have been there, but it's not there. Because I still don't understand why they kidnapped the She-Hulk in the first place to do research on her. Because at this point, she's already been in like a member of the Avengers. And yeah, so is, so is the Hulk, and this is not too long after the Hulk had lost all of his humanity. And tore through New York and everything, and everybody was fighting him and everything. And Doctor Strange ultimately had to send Hulk off to the the, the crossroads of eternity. So it was a, a, a genuine concern whether or not the She-Hulk was going to go through the same 
process as the Hulk? Is she going to start going savage? Is she going to, you know, get get all nuts? Well, it sounds it sounds like they're they're concerned that she might go go rogue and lose you know lose control. But as the story progresses, it also seems that Dooley was more the spearhead behind that. Like maybe, and he says he has friends in high prices. Maybe maybe he's obsessed with her or something, or he's just a pervert, and maybe he suggested that hey maybe we need to get the she-hulk up here and because he seems like it was it wasn't just a coincidence that she showed up and then oh now i take i'm gonna take my chance and you know get her to get naked for me yeah i feel like there's more to the story that we don't know about Dooley and the cockroach monster and you know what's really going on here well again this is one of the things we found we found out i found out today about the fact that it was supposed to be for a limited series and I'm sure that he had a lot more intended to go on with plot points and such in there. And he had to take a lot out to turn this into the book that it is. Yeah, that would make sense. That would be a, yeah. an extra 20 or 30 pages. Yeah. Yeah, if it was like, it was a, like a six issue. If it was a four, yeah. Four or six. Well, if it was a four issue series, it'd still be like another 20 or 30 pages. Yeah. Hmm. <sighs> okay, now this is the thing that, that just I'm not sure about. I want to know, did Reed Richards design her high heels so they wouldn't break? Because she puts them through an awful lot of trouble. Those are strong high heels, aren't they? Yeah, They're made out of unstable molecules. Yeah. (laughs) Although they are in the top of page 21. I thought that was a nice detail that they're getting. Let's get that close-up of her pulling up the the wall that the back of the heel is... At least the the covering, whatever they are, leather or whatever, is starting to peel off. The inside yeah, may still be scuffed off. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I hadn't caught that. That's good catch. Oh yeah, that's that's neat. Yeah, and right below that, as you were saying about the way he's drawn her flexing, you can really see her muscles standing out in her backside, her her calves, and everything as she's pulling that door, or the or the ripping of the wall up. Yeah, it reminds me of something about Mary when she's lifting the couch. <laughs> <laughs> And again, see what he's done with that. Is it runch? Yeah, it's runch. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of uh, flowing along with the uh, the panel as it comes off. Very ingenious use. Yeah, the next couple pages, um, you, we've got the one almost silent page, or there's there's just a conversation with her and Wyatt at the top, but the rest of the page is silent because you see the uh, the cockroach master there <laughs> uh, traveling through the uh, tunnels and such in the helicarrier. Well, here's something I want to bring up. As uh, they pointed out, this does look like the Prospector, like the original Prospector. Yes. But later on, when the cockroaches are talking through Dooley to her, they say there have been many bodies. Like they've jumped from body to body because it seems like they burn them out pretty quick. Yeah, it's like Proteus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's it's interesting to see here that, you know, he wears a fake beard and he... He's he's dropping off the coat, the hat, everything to follow along or at least do what he he wants to do, which is, I guess, get Dooley next. But um, as we get to the next page, you see the use of the um, the sound sound effects, thrum and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to really, really good effect. Yeah. Then you get that great splash page where it's like, oh, they're in they're in a helicarrier. Yeah, it's a, like a whole big two page spread with him on the helicarrier. You can actually see them up on the deck looking down. Yeah. It's like little specks. <laughs> yep. Nuts. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. And, of course, the next page is when it starts the um, 
they ought to just start playing that that's that it's a long slow strip strip yeah and she's and it's a long long slow strip and she's dressed like a playboy bunny yeah again i think you're right that's that's burn acting as some fantasies and getting paid to do it well let's just be thankful that you're not seeing these guys below the waist <laughs> They're wearing very tight yes. outfits as well. <laughs> and why is that? Being a being a superhero would be a very very tough uh, thing to be when you're wearing those tight outfits. Yep. Well, unless you're like, like especially like a teenager like Spider Man when he was a teenager. Like, how does that work? Yeah. Well, how do you think it was when he was running around with a black cat all the time? Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would interfere with your web swinging. Yeah, spider web cup. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. We had to have some kind of cod piece. Well, she thought it was a potato. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, Wyatt's definitely not happy about this whole thing. You know, one thing I'll say is like um, other artists that have done Dum Dum Dugan always draw him in those outfits in a very unflattering way. You know, they they always show Dum Dum as very overweight and and whatnot. And Burn actually doesn't doesn't slide into that. He actually keeps keeps Dum Dum down so he's not so embarrassingly overweight that he would look so clumsy in those in, in, in the shield outfit. No, he just looks kind of like a stocky male middle aged man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean he looks like a strong guy who just likes his beer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did wanna I did want to mention um that you know on that two page spread of the helicarrier Especially the parts where they got the, uh, the the props and everything, where that really has that Kirby tech look to it, where it looks more like Kirby work than burn work almost. Yeah, I don't know uh, where did the helicopter first did it show up in this Drinko run, or I don't know where did it show up in Kirby. You're gonna make me look it up. Well, I didn't want to make you look it up. You no, know, no, just saying that makes me want to look it up. <laughs> My well, guess would be Kirby, but. That's just my guess. I haven't read all. I haven't, unlike you, Dave, I haven't read all. I've got them, but I haven't read all of the early. And I've got the first two omnibuses. I just haven't had time to read the the early uh, all all of the early uh, Kirby Lee stuff. I've got the pocketbook that's got the first six issues that I read. Probably read that a thousand times when I was a kid. Yeah, the first appearance was uh, Strange Tales one thirty five from nineteen sixty five. Okay, that's and so that's, Stan, that's Stanley and Jack Kirby. But you're right. That definitely those those rotors are definitely that's definitely Kirby Tech. Yeah. Well, let me ask you guys this: Do you prefer this design, this more bulbous, rounded design, or the movie design? I like the movie design. Look, movie design looks more like it actually could fly. This round bulbous thing just looks impossible. <laughs> yes. Yes. And and uh, the thing is, I enjoyed this one for the comics for what it was. Uh, but as as you move on into the later realm of comics. You always see them change and, and, and adjust things. And, and I, I could see them going the same route with the helicarrier, turning it more of like a, a regular aircraft carrier type thing, like we saw in uh, Avengers and in um, The Winter Soldier. Yeah, well, this doesn't look like it was ever meant to go in the ocean. It was meant strictly as a, right. as a flying ho, yeah, flying carrier. So, and, and, and if you've been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., spoiler, they bring a helicarrier back. Or did you already know that? Uh, this season they brought one yeah. back. Yeah, they well, brought one back this season. Oh, okay. Is that, is that the one from Age of Ultron? Uh, I think so. Okay, I think so. I could be wrong. Did they crash a helicarrier in 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 Winter Soldier? I think. 
they crashed all three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 built three up and um, had some very special plans for it, and yeah, they they destroyed all three. But those were three new ones, weren't they? Those weren't the. Yes. They weren't. They still had the one from the first Avengers movie, or at least least one. Mm-hmm. So. And I think that's probably the one that they brought back in in uh, Agents of Shield. Yeah. Okay, so moving past the uh, the um, strip scene, <laughs> and seeing uh, Burns' use of Dum Dum in there, you know him sitting there talking to the Hulk and Wyatt, She Hulk and Wyatt, and then him getting the phone call, basically saying that Dooley's back in charge. Um, you know, he's definitely got a, a real good handle on this character and how to represent him. Even in the emotion, you can see it's like with the speed lines, you see him jumping up out of his chair practically with the, you know, what? You can't be serious, sir. But it is sure. funny how, the, like, they had to get rid of Nick Fury, but they also had to get rid of <laughs> Dum Dum Dugan. Yeah. And it makes sense. But, you know, what's, yeah. who's really driving it is, is the question, you know, and of course that goes back to, you know, who's driving S.H.I.E.L.D. altogether. And once again, they make her strip again. And you get this doctor with the worst case of pattern male baldness there is. Well, let me ask you this. If they had taken out the striptease, if they had taken out, say Dooley wasn't the pervert that he is, you could still have the same story. Do you think would it be, would, would you enjoy it as much? I don't think I would have had a problem with it. I mean, I, I, I mean, right now I think, you know, we're talking about it uh, in, with, you know, 30 years behind it. And back when we first read it, we didn't think about, you know, whether it was appropriate or not. We were thinking, oh, wow, cool. Look, check it out. That's right. <laughs> You're telling your friends, hey, guys, check this out. She Hulk and her making her strip. <laughs> you know, but, you know, as you get older and you get, you know, different sensitivities and you deal with different people, yeah, you have to look at things differently is how it's represented. And, and I'll, I'll bring that up in just a few minutes. Another aspect of this that just made me go, wait a second. But when once we get there, I'll, I'll well, bring, I'll bring, I'll it is a graphic novel, so he's allowed. You can notice there is a language is it's a little bit more mature. Uh, I mean, at one point, Dooley, uh, I mean, Dum Dum says, "God damn it!" Or yeah, and so I guess he could push it a little more than he could in the regular books. But mm-hmm. if if Dooley wasn't this way, he could still be a jerk. You know, still capture She Hulk, have her sent in for testing, and have her put away. He still could take her by cockroaches. You could eliminate the whole that whole kind of pervy part of it well the funny thing about it all is that she never once i mean she might bristle at it but she doesn't you know defy it or anything and it even even up to this point she willingly goes into the doctor and submits herself for the examination and submits herself for whatever i mean you know does it look it, it number one knowing what you know about she hulk if she didn't want to do something she'd just stop wouldn't she i think she's still afraid they're going to kill wyatt Right. Yeah, but she's not shy either. No, right. no. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then they bring her back in the almost uh, repeat of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. You know, I feel lousy. That was my night. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, what exactly but, kind of exam did they do on her? That's well, if you look at the the, the screens later. Yeah. It looks like Dooley was well. Yeah, he was watching her being tortured. But why did the doctor go through with that? I mean, well, was it like then, a doctor told her to chain her up naked and well, yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's like she submitted herself for this thing. She allowed herself to get chained up and everything. It, it made, it's like I, I, at that point I was sitting there going, "What was Byrne thinking at this?" 
in, in doing this. And, you know, it, it could be one of those things where he's letting the character take over and, and, and dictate to him how he wants to be treated. And I think that's almost like what he did with Dooley there. Cause if, if you look at, you know, each of the panels on, pa- on page 38, you can see that Dooley was sitting there watching a video of her being tortured there on the very far left in the bottom panel. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. And then on page 42, you can see more of the video. She's actually naked. You can see her butt. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that right there, but it shows that she actually had her hands in shackles or something. Yeah, because you can see the underside of her breasts to the top screen on top 42. And, and yeah, she's spread eagle chained up uh, in that bottom one. So I can understand if Dooley had her position that way to watch her, but this seems to be this is what the doctor was doing to test her. And he seemed a little more averse to making her go through. He didn't think she had to get undressed. So... Yeah, that is weird because when she first takes off her shirt, the doctor's like, gulp, that's not yeah. necessary. Yeah. <laughs> but then he proceeds to do this like horrible, evasive examination to her. Oh, uh, maybe that's just very for... pornographic examination. Yeah. Yeah. But, and the thing is, they go the other way around with it too. When She Hulk and Wyatt break out of the thing, it, it, I mean, they realize that he can't get out. And what does she do? She grabs his butt. Yeah. <laughs> And let's know I'm not I'm not going to let anything happen to those buttons. <laughs> I do like the playfulness between the two of them. You don't often see yes. that the kind of overt sexuality between two characters in comics like that is kind of fun. Yeah, true, true. Didn't have that rapey vibe that DC Comics later got. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Well, I mean, it did have the rapey vibe when the old prospector went to kiss Dooley. Yeah. Dooley definitely did not want to do that kiss. And the guy puts both <laughs> hands on his face, kind of like Roy Batty in Blade Runner. And then he does the kiss. And, you know, that's the French kiss from hell. Well, and you can also see in that middle page, you can just barely see the cockroach is starting to come out of the mouth yeah. of the prospector. Yeah. <laughs> and this, this, this prospector has a very um, kind of Bernie, Bernie Wrightson kind of uh, um, D, uh, EC Comics look or feel to him. Yeah, now that does raise a question. Uh, you, you did say that the creature said he used many, many bodies. So why would we still be seeing the prospector if it's been... That was my question. This, so this yeah, can't be yeah. the prospector. Or why would he use like a, a very similar looking character? Well, I mean, they're all going to sit there and get decrepit and really old looking. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. But wearing the hat, wearing the beard, wearing the bigger coat over him. Uh, he can, you know, blend in a lot easier. But he has drawn that, like, he has existed in these clothes. He's worn these clothes for 40 years. If he jumped, if, you know, if he, if they deteriorate as quick as Dooley seems to, maybe that they've only been in this body for, say, a week or a couple days. Yeah. Why, you know, if they want to blend in, don't wear stuff that looks <laughs> like it's rags. Yeah, he's got the same, it looks like the same hat from the, from Will Campbell from the very beginning. To the zombie creature later on. Yeah. Maybe that's just burned forget, forgetting what he wrote. Yeah. You know. But I do like the way he represents, you know, Dooley. The look on Dooley. I mean, that right there on, on page 40, it actually makes me think of um, some anime. Japanese anime. And I, I cannot for life of me think of what it is. But, you know, just the way the eyes look, the way it's shaking, I can, I can almost hear it uh, from some anime I saw. It reminds me of, uh, either of you ever seen Heavy Metal, the, the oh, movie? Yeah. Okay. I have. The, the Captain Stern. Yes. Uh, part. That's what looks like the guy that takes the stand that eventually becomes the big hulking guy that chases Stern through the, the, through the station. 
That's, yeah, that's I, what I'm I, getting. I, yeah, I see. It's, it's the ears that uh, does it. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, and he stumbles off away. Well, you think these cockroaches will learn how to control a body to walk? Yeah. Now the top now. Of page, top of page forty-one. That looks like Mike Grell artwork almost. And the coloring is what helps a lot of that to make it look, you know, it's got that very sketchy, pencil-y uh, line to it that looks like Grell's work. Yeah. This this, this is, um, uh, the inking for this is certainly not as sharp. It's not as sharp as what he was doing in the books he was doing concurrently with this in the FF. Yeah, I, I don't recall seeing Kim DeMulder's work before or after. I looked that up, but this is the first time she's inked him. It's, it's a he, isn't it? Oh, it is a he, you're right. I thought it was a woman. It's a. It is a he. Yeah, it's the first yeah. time uh, he's been inked by this person. Yeah, and then of course we get that that um, lovely shot of her from behind, and she she destroys the uh, video that today would have netted her several million dollars for you know sex tapes or whatever. Well, t- today it would have been uploaded to the cloud service, so it's and then she could have her own reality show on E. Yeah. Yeah. Now the keeping up with the- She Hulk. As the helicarrier is going crazy there at the bottom of page 42, is that supposed to be the outside that's all pink? I don't know. No? Well, if you look at the bottom, it looks like a, I don't know what that's supposed to be. I think that's a shower curtain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Okay, I, I have no idea. I'm just going to move on. And then we get another whole page shot of that of the helicarrier. Tipping over with like, yeah, the half the rotors are off and did anybody? Uh, you may be too young for this. I don't. I don't know how old you are, Dave. So I don't want to. I don't. Maybe too young for this. The donut. Do you, anybody get the reference to that? To it's an old Dunkin' Donut commercial. Oh yeah. Gotta what happens in the, the old donuts? What happens in the Dunkin' Donut commercial? It's a this pudgy guy that gets up like he's gonna. It's about how Dunkin' makes their donuts fresh all the time, and he yeah. gets up and says, "It's time to make the donuts." And he yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Time to make the donuts. Yeah. <laughs> Devotes a whole page to that, the plane yeah. landing on the donut shop. Yeah. And I was wondering if, if Berm was trying to make a little note with uh, the, the remaining letters, just C, do, and N, but he must have missed something there. <laughs> no, well, he devotes a lot of time to the the planes sliding off, and he, he devotes a lot of almost two pages to this one pilot trying to save the plane and, you know, doesn't quite make it. That said, I'm trying to figure out what kind of plane that is because, I mean, it's – a little like an F-16, but it's not. No, nah, it looks, from the bottom, it looks like a F-15 Eagle. No, that's got uh, two two jets on the back. The F-15 and the F-14 both have uh, double jets on the back. The F-16 smaller has a single jet on the back. And maybe it's an F-16. Well, it looks it looks like it, but but not quite. I mean, there's the, the way the wings are and all that. I'm sorry, my father worked on the F-16, so I'm like, you know, uh, no, it's not. But uh, it's, I don't think it's actually representative of any regular plane. I think he's, it's like an amalgam of it's several just, different types. Yeah, it's just some Well, whatever it was, it's not anymore. Yeah. And then we get the uh, the jump scare, dead body. Yeah. Now, that would have been better in, in a movie. <laughs> that would have been scary in a movie to have that. Oh, and boom, 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 boom. Yeah, see? It's almost like the way that, well, not the way the shells are subjected, but... Uh, I have expected Buddha, 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 Buddha. <laughs> but okay, I, I got a question. If if you're holding a machine gun like that that's shooting bullets, wouldn't your hand get burnt? I mean, even if you're wearing a glove, wouldn't that just get too hot? Maybe it's a special shield. 
Yeah. Special shield gloves, yeah. Unstable yeah. molecules. Unstable molecules, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, they're made out of silicone. <laughs> it's like an oven mitt. Yep. I want to know is who's purple? Is this this shield agent's purple jumpsuit she lent her? Yeah, where <laughs> does she get that? It's, who's going <laughs> to. You got a and big, she, tall store on the uh, shield helicarrier. Yeah, and she sure does wait a long time before she zips it up all the way. Well, she zips it up when she jumps through the window, then later zip down again. Yeah. So, I mean, zip down, it, it looks like he's trying to draw on it to look like, well, it's too small for yes. her. But I can't imagine, even in their leisure time, is this, what, is it a swimsuit? I mean, it's got collars on it. What is it? <laughs> yeah, they're on page 54. It's zipped all the way up, and then suddenly, a couple panels later, you can see it zipped down some. Yeah. Uh, she's got she to get the cleavage in there, I guess. Yeah. In the middle of her fight with Dooley zombies, she has to <laughs> show a little more zombie. Maybe to, dis- to distract Dooley. Well, it almost looks, at top of page 54, she's coming through the window, and then you see the to the far right, the panel, where you see his hand come into frame. It almost looks like she's, I guess she's Unzi- taking her, she's, unzipping it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah she's right. taking, well, she's got some kind of harness on well, when she take, she's coming down. If you look on the previous page, she's got some kind of harness on. Yeah. On, on page 53. And so as soon as she breaks through the glass, she lands, she takes off the belt, and then she's unzipping the top, I guess, to free herself so she can more effectively battle. Hey, when you're when you're fighting cockroaches, you got to have movement. Yep. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, see, it says right here, top of page 55, says, We have had many hosts since the first, the one called Campbell. So maybe they just, all, maybe yeah, they like just, that prospector look. Yep, that's what I'm thinking, because it's the only way to go around innocuous, wear that big hat, have the big beard, big coat. Yep. This whole intelligent uh, roach idea is like, I try to remember this. What is it in the Spider-Man book where the guy ate the radioactive spider and then he, was it, is it the thousand? That's the storyline where he is, where he becomes kind of a colony of, of intelligent spiders. I didn't read that. I never read that. Yeah. It's, it's some guy, it's the, it's, it's kind of, it's a ret, uh, retcon where some guy that went to, some guy you never heard of that went to school with Peter Parker shows up at the radiation demonstration after Peter's been bitten. I guess somebody's left and he finds the spider, the radio, the one that bits Peter. And he okay. eats it. He eats it I, I, I got to call, I, I call BS right there. In Amazing <laughs> Fantasy 15, the spider died. Well, yeah, yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't alive, but he ate oh. it. And somehow he became, his body was composed of, it was like a hive colony of spiders. And he comes back later to, uh, I think he wanted to, he saw the, maybe he, I think he saw, he followed Peter out, saw the powers Peter had obtained, goes back thinks he deserves them or wants them or whatever the storyline was, and he eats the spider. I think it's called A Thousand. I think I stayed away from that story. That didn't ring a bell with me either. Uh, I can't tell you when that was. That's back when I was still reading Spider-Man, but so that would have been late 90s, maybe. But the idea of, you know, I mean, look at uh, Team America. I mean, the idea of, you know, cockroaches controlling a body or not, it's not necessarily new. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Oh, man. Does that happen in Team America? Yeah, have you seen Team America? The puppet movie? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, at the very end when... I don't remember cockroaches. Well, at the very end when Kim Jong-il lands on the German uh, Chancellor's or President Spike, and you think he's dead, a cockroach climbs out of his mouth and gets into a tiny spaceship and flies away. Well, maybe they had read uh, the Sensational She-Hulk graphic novel. Yeah, maybe. 
Okay, so back on page 56, you see this guy running running around, and he's got a goatee and and beard and all that and, and, and yeah. mustache. I mean, did they not have, like, a, a, a dress code or something? Oh, I, I guess with Dugan with the handlebar mustache. Yeah. yeah. Well, he seems properly trimmed. It's not shaggy. I mean, he seems... Yeah, this is true. Okay. This is true. And they are letting uh, Gaffer there get away with those ridiculous sideburns, so... Yeah. He seems to be the only. Uh, my theory is that res- when this after the things crash, he doesn't think that the uh, a reactor is going to explode. The rest of the he wants to get back in and get his copies of the She-Hulk torture tape he made, so he convinces the She-Hulk to go in and shut it down, so he can go back in and get his tapes. Now, why did she change boots? <laughs> I mean, those high heels were working just fine for her. <laughs> well, they took her high heels off, I guess, when they uh, when they stripped her. Yeah, <laughs> at the bottom, the bottom of fifty-seven when the. The engine falls on the farm. I thought they they destroyed the Kent farm. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Ma and Pa Kent. Do well, I guess ba- where they I are guess, at this point. I guess Ben Gardner's going to come over and give him a hand. <laughs> I don't know where they're. I don't know where they. I guess they're still in New York at this point, outside of the city. Yeah, maybe that's upstate New Jersey. It's Honeywell's house. Yeah, and then all those uh, support pods or life pods that they've got. You mean all the little sperm that are ejecting from it? Yeah, that's that's what it looks like. And then they eject three little cilia out so they can land properly, I guess. People aren't going to say it's UFOs. Well, probably the helicarrier probably landed on all of them. Or they were crushed when the the repulsor beams hit the ground, probably destroyed all the pods. Yeah. But I like that effect when 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 they reverse the tractor beams on the ground. Yeah, that's a a great... But you know the, the the thing they say though is that the because the ground is not even the ground's not uniform consistency it's what throws it off and makes it crash on its side. But look, okay, if you're thinking we're still over New York, as Dave said, look on the bottom of page sixty. Does that not look like cactus down in the ground? Oh yeah, it does look like they're well. It looks like they're in some kind of desert now. Yeah, yeah, because uh, the the panels before looked like they were over heartland. And farmland. Yeah, like Kansas or something. Yeah. I guess we don't really know how long she's on that ship. Like, they could have been torturing her for hours. Three hours is what, uh, is what I think what they said. said. Three hours. Okay, yeah. yeah. In that case, they could have traveled out, out west. Yeah. And yeah. this thing, we don't know how long this thing has been flying sideways. Okay, now, the my, my next question is this. On page 60, all right, uh, out of all the people that's going to help them out, it happens to be Gaffer the same scientist that was doing all of his checks on She-Hulk. Is he the only scientist on board that can also pilot the helicarrier? He seems to be the only scientist on board. Yeah. (laughs) And he's going to reverse the polarity on the vortex beams. Then the next panel is just the sky and the ground and him saying now before, you know, the the last panel, which shows the, the vortex beams reversing and trying to push up and all that. But isn't that one panel of just... You see the sky and the ground and everything just kind of like out of place. Well, I think that dust cloud at the bottom is supposed to show maybe that's where the beams are starting to affect the ground. Maybe. Yeah. Hmm. Just weird. Well, I definitely feel with all these gigantic like scenes of like helicarriers being destroyed and things like that mm-hmm. and planes crashing. I feel like he was definitely trying to take advantage of the larger format of the graphic novel and draw these yeah. big big scenes of destruction and mayhem. Especially page 62 and 63. That yeah. double-page spread of the helicarrier yeah. just crashing to the ground. It, it's definitely, it's certainly cinematic. 
or what they would yeah. call like widescreen comics. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think that the graphic novel format kind of did a little disservice because you really would have to stretch that out to be able to see both panels properly. You'd have to have a good digital copy that is, uh, you know, made from the source material instead of somebody's scan if you wanted to see that properly. Yeah. Well, my, 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 I've got, I've actually got the graphic novel, but I'm, I'm reading a digital scan right now and it's not looking pretty good in the middle. Yeah. You can tell it's obviously a, uh, a scan from a book. Yeah. Oh, I'm holding the actual graphic novel, so I don't. Oh. I couldn't find, I've got it. I just couldn't find it yeah. in, my, in my toy room, so I borrowed Brian's digital. Yeah, I just didn't want to uh, pull out the book and have you guys listen to me all night go like this, because you'd be hearing, you know, this all night. Flipping through? Yeah. Because <laughs> I think my, my mic is just a little too sensitive. Now, the, on the next page, on page uh, 64, you see a plane that looks a little bit like, uh, that looks more like a, an F. 14, 14. And 15. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's more like an F-14, the way the tail wings are, are out at an angle rather than straight up. If I remember right, that's the 14. And then the 15 yeah. would, would be straight up. Yeah. Um, but still, it's not quite the same design. So he's just kind of going from memory rather than from uh, a model or something. Well, if it's, you know, if it's shield, they're probably going to have their own special, you know. If I, as far as I can see, I understand why you would want to draw just make one up. He could just kind of make it, you know, draw whatever he wanted to. And see, I would have rather seen him using Quinjet, you know, like the Avengers Quinjets, a design like that rather than a, an actual jet fighter. But, you know, I mean, that's kind of like what they did in, you know, Avengers and in the uh, the the following, you know, movies and such. Yeah, I would think with the, well, you would think with all of these planes, that all be some type of um, a vertical takeoff plane that they wouldn't, they wouldn't need to have a runway. They could, If they started to fall, they could, you know, right themselves. Right. But then you wouldn't have the great... Uh, Plane crashes. Now you got to give Wyatt Wingfoot credit for being able to survive that kind of crash. It looks like Gaffer was on the ship too when it crashed, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was. So how did he survive? He had to. He had to tell She-Hulk what was wrong with the nuclear reactor. And there's even like somebody says, like, there's nobody who can survive this crash. Right. And then of course an old (laughs) man comes wandering out of the giant crash. Well, they look like they're the only three that survived. Maybe yeah, she the only three people left on the ship. Yeah, maybe she. Uh, well, that's true. I forgot about the uh, escape pods. Maybe she, uh, you know, cuddled them. You know, now, so did kind of is, a group with them. What is that in the far background in the middle panel? Then, but you know, if you look behind Haffer, is that Bigfoot and a, a monkey? <laughs> that's, what, that's what it looks like. <laughs> maybe they're uh, people coming out of the escape pods. Yeah, I mean, it could be. It could also be some wilderness beast or something. The the one thing on the right, I'm not, you know, the other one. Maybe this is where that picture from Mars comes from that people are always bringing up that shows Bigfoot over there. I don't know. I don't know if that sh- Bigfoot was on Mars. Oh yeah, Bigfoot a- was here in North Carolina. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we just got chupacabras here in Texas. Yes. Now, page sixty six, you can tell She-Hulk is a lot taller than that 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 scientist guy. He almost looks like a guardian, doesn't he? That little wisps of hair. If he was, if yes. he was blue, he would, he would be a guardian. Yes, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> and I'm sorry, you know, why it's a big muscular guy and everything. And looking at the bottom of page 66, that shirt would have been stretched out a long time ago. You know, you wouldn't be seeing that muscle definition. <laughs> well, you think it'd be in rags the way Gaffer's clothes didn't. They didn't survive the uh, the crash that well. Yeah. 
But then again, he hangs around with the Fantastic Four. It's probably unstable it's molecules. Unstable molecules, yeah. That's that's the answer to everything when it comes to clothing. <laughs> yes, that's true. And then the She-Hulk goes into the radiation. I like the effect that I don't know if it was Burns' idea or the colorist that gave it kind of a a, a green that looked like it's radiation yeah. in there. It's got kind of a green glow. A, ha- a nice haze, yeah. Yeah, haze, exactly. That's the word I'm looking for. And then she looks what looks like to be attacked by pinto beans. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, when she does finally come out, it looks like she's got refried beans. <laughs> refried. <laughs> well, they would be. She's got them crushed. So they're refried just, beans. Just put a little chorizo in it. It's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. We're from Tarak, Texas. Everybody eats chorizo here. <laughs> All right, but that, yeah, that's disgusting and yet at the same time mildly erotic. <laughs> Well, I'm getting, a, woman I'm getting... covered in, in, a woman covered in cockroaches, squished cockroaches. That's what gets you gets you going, huh? No, not really, not at all. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you think of when you bring it up like that, now I was sitting there talking refried beans, and even that's kind of gross. <laughs> but you know the imagery of it, you know, it's kind of like almost like a wet woman rather than someone covered in, in cockroaches. Of course, when you sit there and think about gross and cockroaches, you think about that that late scene in Men in Black with. Uh, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, where they both uh, got cockroach crap all over them. <laughs> and makes you want to take a shower. I'm going to go back to, I forgot about this. Go back to 66, bottom row of panels, middle panel. Gaffer is saying, uh, White says, uh, are you sure that she can walk away from this? You know, basically saying, you know, you say she can go in there and not be harmed. And when Gaffer says, I didn't exactly say that engine. Hey, come oh, on. Man. <laughs> Let's be oh, man. <laughs> What? <laughs> no, let's be a little PC here. Come on. And, and this is a scientist and everything else <laughs> yeah. he says is like, like uh, eloquent and clear and precise. And in that one moment, he has to use a slur. <laughs> yeah. I guess we're just lucky Black Panther wasn't there, right? And why doesn't it say anything either? He just lets it go. Yeah, he's like, oh, okay. But he waits for Jen to go inside. And of course, when Jen comes back out, you know, Wyatt's standing there, arms akimbo, and the, the other guy's sitting on a rock because apparently he just got his butt kicked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't know what happened while she was in there. <laughs> It'd be nice if his glasses were all broken. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you think Wyatt also, if Wyatt, well, I guess Wyatt doesn't know this is the doctor that performed the test on She-Hulk, or he would probably be pounding him. Oh, Yeah. Well, the scientist is trying to help save you know everybody for a hundred miles around. Tony's trying to save his copies of the torture tape. Yeah, and as we go to page seventy, that actual lab bed looks more comfortable than my bed. <laughs> the one that She Hulk is sitting on. Yeah, you think it's temp- you think it's Tempur-Pedic? <laughs> it does look comfortable. It does. It's a sleep number bed. Reed probably patented that. It's unstable yeah. molecules too. Oh, did you catch uh, John Byrne's little uh, signature? No. In the middle of page 70, in the middle panel, where Reed's sitting there by those control panels. If you look at the bottom control panel on the left, it's got two two little panels on it. One of them's got JB on there. Oh, I can't see that. Well, my question is, why does Reed have to have his, his thing he's working on? Why does he have to have so many damn keyboards that he has to have this tall stool to stand on? To I, thought on? Those were, I thought those were all uh, crossword puzzles. No, that's that's that typical burn, <laughs> that typical burn, you know. The burn tech, yeah, the burn a lot tech, of stuff yeah, that you don't need. Yeah. So you don't see the JB in that in that one panel down there? 
I don't. Let me see if I can zoom in. I don't. I kind of do, but I don't think it's done on purpose. Hmm. I mean, what, what looks like a B is almost is almost obvious. Yeah, the B is obvious. I don't think the J is. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, you, you could have the top character there in the top left be the J, and then that be the B, and the other part in the middle just kind of the, a, a barrier between the two. Yeah. But then again, I, well, I, I, I don't know if he meant to do that intentionally, or if that's just you know how it worked out. Well, he's never done that before. He's not known to hide his name. Well, I mean, I he's think, always he? Hit, he he likes to hide things around. He puts numbers and uh, and other things in things. I remember we saw that in the Avengers comic books where you'd hide things in different places if you look carefully enough. Yeah. So I, again, that's you know ten years before this though. So I don't know. What do y'all think? <laughs> What are those at home? All right. And then there's that long page that uh, Dave, you really liked. For yeah, me, I like that. you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, but I, I, it forces me to sit there and look at every panel trying to see if I can find any small detail <laughs> that's different to see if he just, you know, did, did anything to differentiate it. I think it's the same. I think it's the same panel repeated. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's just there's just nothing there that, that's that's different uh, other than the word balloons. Well, again, once uh, once more, Reed Richards has comes across somebody he can't uh, fix. Fix, yeah. It's like, it's like, and she's like, "Well, you know, well, you can't you fix know, the I, thing. I, what if they get could fix me?" You go back to that issue of uh, Fantastic Four with uh, Doctor Octopus. You know, when it comes to radiation. Dr. Octopus is his superior. He, he bows to his superior knowledge in the field. And when you bow to somebody who's a nutbag that has extra <laughs> arms on him, maybe you need to go back to school and study radiation if that's, you know, you're considered the smartest man on the planet. Well, is, are cosmic rays considered radiation? Isn't, aren't those a form of radiation? Well, obviously, Reed's not an expert in cosmic radiation, or else he wouldn't have taken that <laughs> ship in the first place. <laughs> this, is this is true. This is true. Oh, he had to. The commies are going to beat him. Come on. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And now he used, in, on the, the last page at the top, he used a, uh, a picture. And I don't know what they, what they call that, what they term that rotoscoping or whatever. It's, um, I noticed that in Photoshop. And I, he, you noticed that there's a, there's a, and when he was doing FF, he started doing this. And I, I want to yeah. say it's, there's almost a, a, a clear, demarcation line of when he started doing when he would have somebody either Johnny flying over New York or uh Reed yeah. over New York and he would take in real photos and it's like you take um uh it's it's almost I don't know how you do it in Photoshop you do a do layers and it just drops everything back to being well, black and white. I don't white. think he was using I don't think he was using Photoshop back then. No no but I'm but, but there's yeah. some there's some technique that, that yeah. you can I don't know how they do it, but they it just turns everything kind of black and white. But the the thing about the thing is is that you know we, we talked earlier about the coloring process in this book and how it works great for the book. It doesn't work great for that image. I, I think that an image like that and others like it look better in the in the regular comic books with the process they use there rather than the way that looks here. Yeah, that's it's a, almost it's, it's it's too dark for me. Yeah, that's not one of the better you know real life New York images that he's used. Mm. Yeah. It's probably too small. It's really kind of set it up for you to think, oh, what are they doing? And then you realize, you know, I guess because this is the best he could do since he couldn't have his original scene of them in bed together. Yeah. Now, the question is for the rest of us, is this in her apartment or is this in the, the Baxter building? I would say. This is definitely her apartment. This is not the Baxter building. 
Yeah, because the Baxter building probably has ways of getting rid of cockroaches, right? Yeah, there's no cockroaches, <laughs> cockroaches in the Baxter building. Well, from that from that bottom panel, it almost looks like they're in a sewer because it looks like they're looking. The cockroaches are in a sewer grate. Yeah, what kind of apartment is this? It's like one of those like Laverne and Shirley apartments that are like underground. Yeah. <laughs> she couldn't afford. Maybe she's just renting the other one. She couldn't afford it, and she had to. Maybe parts of uh, the shield helicarry fell on top of her apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. All right. Now, um, let's. Can we talk a moment for, about the uh, the original page, the original artwork that he had done? The the sex page. Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically, it was it was a, a large amount of side boobage, but it also had something that that really kind of bothered me. You know, looking at it and thinking about it. Even in the book, they talk about her weighing six hundred and seventy five pounds. That, that means that Wyatt has probably got to have Wolverine's skeleton. Otherwise, he'd be falling right to the bed, <laughs> getting crushed because she's laying right on top of him. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's kind of straddling him. Well, it would, it would, I would think also where he's massaging her, I think her muscles and bones would, and skin would be so tough that he wouldn't make an impact. I think he wouldn't be able to – she would have to have something with superhuman strength, I think, to give her a massage. Or maybe she's just making him feel good. Well, that's always where, been that, that gray area in comic books. I'm sorry, where do they say that she weighs like six hundred and something pounds? Um, in in the actual story, uh, somewhere they they made the comment that she weighs. And the two of them together in that cell weighed nine hundred and seventy five okay. pounds. And um, I think Ohadmo so, has it for has her at six fifty or something like that. Well, that's just crazy. Well, well she's seven foot tall and buxom. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the Hulk's supposed to be a thousand pounds. But yeah, you're right. That's just well. I think she would she would have a hard time sitting in normal chairs. She would you know she'd be breaking chairs. She'd be breaking beds. Yes, everywhere. She'd be breaking Wyatt. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but that that's my whole point here. You'd have a broken. She, you'd have a broken she, pelvis. <laughs> she should be breaking Wyatt. Anyway, uh, but uh, you know the the end it did worked fine for me. Um, it's interesting that they did cut that out, but it makes sense why they would. Which it's it's compared to now, it's really tame. I mean, they had no problem yes. putting it now. But I, I th- it, this is a nice epilogue because it to, to what Dave pointed out, it, it shows that they care about each other. It shows that playfulness. Shows that they're comfortable with each other and that 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 they are a, a genuine couple. Yeah. All right. So, Dave, what'd you think? You know, I kind of, I mean, I enjoy this. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's not one of his better She-Hulk stories. I much, I much prefer the uh, the series that he did, which was a lot more, you know, there's a lot more breaking the fourth wall, a lot more silliness, a lot more crazy, you know, you know, sea level super villains. This is more like the, this is like a, a TV show pilot where like they retool it before it becomes a series. Yeah. So it's a lot different from you know what he would later do with the She-Hulk. Yeah, what you know what I think of when I when I first read this was I kind of it I was starting to compare Byrne in the comics world to James Cameron in the movie world, and I, I don't know what it was that, that that made me sit there and have that comparison in my head. Um, but I, it, it was one of those things where he was always doing things that I thought were really really cool with the characters and the battles and such. That she got into it, except for with the cockroach cluster. Uh, was uh, was was you know really pretty cool. Now the cockroach thing I could have done without that completely because cockroaches just give me the willies. Well, it becomes almost a, it's it's more of a, almost a horror book at that point. Yeah. 
But all in all, I enjoyed it. And uh, though I, I still wonder, why was it necessary to take away the She-Hulk's ability to change back and forth? I felt like he was, since he was doing a graphic novel, he felt like he should he do something, some- something important to kind of merit, you know, having this big, extra big story. Well, and it makes me wonder, you know, was this planned from the get-go that he was going to do this? Or did he have this change put in there because it was just going to be a graphic novel rather than a limited series? I mean, could you think about it? I don't think in the course of when she was on the FF, if she ever changed back to her yeah. human form. The only time I remember her changing back was when she was trying to get her nude photos back. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, that's yeah. right. She went in as a lawyer, didn't she? And she went in as her as a lawyer herself. And then she changed into the She-Hulk and the and the creepy uh, magazines guy's toupee fell off. Oh, you mean the Stan Lee? Yeah, the Stan Lee character. <laughs> Stan Lee doesn't have a toupee. What do you say? That's right. With real hair. And then uh, Santa Claus later gave her the power to change back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she changed back again like when she went to the Baloneyverse with How- Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read that one, the Baloneyverse. I have not read that. Well, in between the two burn runs, Steve Gerber was writing the book. That's and she right. teams up with Howard, Howard the Duck for a storyline where she travels to the Baloneyverse. Oh, I've yeah, got to get those. I'm getting a lot more appreciation for the works of Steve Gerber. I think I may have to go back and read those now. Now, did Steve Gerber create Madcap? Do you know? I, thought, I don't think so. That didn't sound... I don't think so. That's... Oh, yeah. I know that was... It's not a, a Ditko crea- creation, is it? Uh, I know Ditko did the artwork on him at some points. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, because it was. Uh, I remember he showed up in a Daredevil book, and I know Ditko did the artwork there when he showed up. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'm gonna have to look that up and see. But uh, does Madcap go back to like a Captain America character? Maybe I'm thinking Madcap showed up in She-Hulk. I know that he's not. Well, he's 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 not mad. He's in like Mad Captain. He's Madcap because he's he's. Uh, he can't die. He can't die, and he's he's kind of insane, and he has a bubble gun. I think it shoots bubbles, and he's just to me kind he of was a, Mar- he was Marvel's version of Ambush Bug. I was that's what I was gonna say, Ambush Bug. <laughs> <laughs> well, he definitely does look like a Steve Ditko character, if, if he is or not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and so it makes sense that he would show up in the She Hulk book where she's breaking the fourth wall again. I'm gonna have to read those now just to see how he handles that. Yeah, yeah have either you read any of the? Uh, Jeff Loeb storyline with Ed McGinnis where he introduces the red with Betty spoilers. It's uh Betsy Ross is uh Betty Ross Betty. is it Betty Ross, not Betsy Ross. <laughs> Betsy Ross. Betsy Ross is she hulk. More stars. More stars on the flag. That's right. <laughs> Make them red now. That's right. She she hulk demands more stars. Uh that was a lot of fun. It was not it it came right off World War Hulk. It was Hulk, well, I can't remember the storyline that ran through it, but it was him and Ed McGinnis, and then he kept writing it. And introduced, that's when you get the Red Hulk and Red She-Hulk. And that was that was a pretty fun run. Well, you're bringing up a whole lot of books I never read. Get on it. No, I, I can't remember to talk. I'm, I'm seriously, I'm embarrassed to say I'm, a lot of my books, I'm about 12 years behind. I've got the books, but I haven't read them. Yeah, I, I'm in that too. You know, I still haven't read Marvel The Lost Generation. And I'm still, I'm, right now I'm working on... Um, X-Men The Hidden Years and I'm reading some of the later issues of that that I missed. I've got those hit and miss. I don't I yeah. pe- I, those are a lot of ones I picked up. Uh, there's a ton of bar- burn stuff I don't have just once he left Marvel and isn't DC. Isn't it great? I mean isn't it great? I mean there's 40 years worth of work you can go through to sit there and tide you till he you know, does his next thing and right sure. now he seems to be very 
heavily happy with the uh, work that he's doing with the Fimetti. Yeah. And he's, you know, making, you know, other money on the side doing the commissions. And I think that that money right there is tiding him over more than anything. And if you watch, he's putting out his commissions all the time. Oh, I'm sure he'd get, I'm sure anytime I find one that I think is really topical or interesting, I'll sit there and throw it out on Facebook just because, you know, I think it's cool. Yeah. Have you read? I'm sure he's plenty, he's plenty, got plenty of millions of dollars at this point. He well, must. I think, yeah, I wonder if he must get any kind of royalties or anything off any of the uh, characters or anything he's created. It depends. Um, you know, I, th- there's a constant rewriting of how the uh, how those dividends work now. Yeah, and because the companies are always trying to find ways to to hang on to the money, and you know, I think the only character he's getting credit for these days is Silver Banshee. I mean, how many characters has he created that haven't been rewritten into something else? Because that's typically what other writers are doing. They're rewriting the origins of characters so they can get creator rights. Right. Or changing them, or the, or the company's changing them slightly so that they don't have to pay a creator their royalties because right. it's like, well, it's not exactly, this character's not exactly what you created. Well, I mean, okay, just answer the que- this one question real simply. Who should be getting paid for Nightwing or Dick Grayson? I mean, if it's Dick Grayson, it should be, you know, Bill Finger, Bob Kane. But you look at Nightwing, and is that Marv Wolfman and George Perez? Or do they get credit for him at all? Because, I mean, it was created by Bob Kane, Bill Finger. But they changed him. Yeah, I don't. And so you can sit there and get legislation changed on that real easy. One word. And all of a sudden, you know, someone else is getting paid for it. And for whatever reason, Marv Wolfman gets a chunk of Lex, Lex Luthor. Whenever they represent him as Lex Luthor's super businessman, you know, Donald Trump, the evil Donald Trump. Hmm. Marv Wolfman gets paid. He hasn't really out. been super businessman for a long time, though, has he? I don't, I don't know. He is anymore. Is he back to being a mad scientist? Is he in the purple jumpsuit again with the crisscross bandolier style thing? I'm pretty sure that's the version they're kind of using now, isn't it? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, he was more he was more the the burns the burn type, yeah. Yeah, the Donald Trump of supervillains. I'd I'd be curious to know is if Byrne has been approached, maybe he's just declined, to have any cameos, especially in Days of Future Past or any of the X-Men books. No. They haven't approached him? No. Yeah, I can tell that he would he would not do that. Yeah, I would think he would turn it down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, right, right now he is definitely not wanting to get into any of the sandboxes that are out there. He's not wanting to play with any of the toys the way the companies are currently running things. Yeah, he's a, he's, he's a little Alan Moore-like in that. Well, you know, when he was working at Marvel, uh, the last the last job he had at Marvel was X Men: The Hidden Years, and it was a successful book. It was selling, you know, uh, well in the you know it was like like in the top twenty of books. And he said that he would like to take that book all the way to the beginning of Giant Size X Men. So he could have sit there and done you know how many years worth of material writing the X Men, you yeah. know, The Hidden Years, and he had a built in audience. And Marvel said, yeah, we're just going to cancel this book because we want to do other books. They want to cancel a successful book so they can put something else out. And he says, you know, he doesn't want to work with somebody who's sitting there thinking like that. You know, they, they don't care to make money. They, they seem to be wanting to shoot themselves in the foot for some reason. Well, it's all about the trades and about relaunching and number ones. and Yeah. And, I mean, he ran into a similar thing in D.C. And he was just taking jobs there just for the money. He wasn't uh, doing any writing in the last several books he did. He was doing all the Justice League stuff. 
Well, he did some yeah. action comics with uh, Gail Simone, didn't he? Yeah, he did action comics with Gail Simone, and then he did Justice League Classified. I think was the last uh, like series a, that he he did. Like I've, uh, like it's that. beautiful. It's beautiful artwork. I mean, it is just gorgeous. Um, I like the inking on it myself, and I don't think Byrne was very happy with the inking on it. He's typically not happy with uh, a lot of a lot of inkers out there, so I don't think he liked it very much. Let me see if I can. Uh, find who did that because that's now stuck in my head i did read today that next year liefeld is going to come back to marvel and write uh, deadpool or draw deadpool not write draw it but draw it now did you hear about neil adams no did he he's doing a superman thing isn't he he's doing a superman story <laughs> no i haven't heard Maybe yeah i, I hope heard it's that. as good as his batman story that was <laughs> well you know this is gonna this is gonna make me go out and buy a comic book again <laughs> He's a great artist, not such a good writer. Uh, some of his stuff's a little, yeah. little out there. You mean you're not going to rush out and get uh, Dark Knight 3? I'm going to have to. I can't help myself. I can't do it. And if, 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 they, if they come out with All-Star Batman and Robin, the, the finale to that, I'm going to buy it also because, damn it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm assuming you've seen the Superman penis cover. You know, <laughs> I, I'm not making anything out of that that those guys are. Um uh, it just, you know, it didn't really grab me like that. Like, I, I, I didn't look at that and say, oh, penis, you know. Now, we've heard, of course, me complain about the fact that a lot of times they don't seem to put the junk in the pictures, uh, <laughs> like our, our on our last show. Um, but, you know, that, that wasn't one of the things that really uh, jumped out at me about that image. What jumped out at me about that image is that it's more of Frank Miller, you know, taking his shots at Superman. Because Superman is not his hero. Superman never was his hero. Mm -hmm. Batman was his hero. And he started this trend of making Superman not necessarily the bad guy, but Superman not being the hero. And I can see some some of where he's coming from because it didn't cost Superman anything to be the hero he is. He has the powers that he has, and he chooses to do good. But at the end of the day, he's not sitting there coming home going, God, I am so tired from being able to lift, you know, anything, you know, whereas with Spider-Man, everything he does costs him something or Batman, you know, everything is just about his, his, uh, his brooding, his brooding. Yeah. Now, uh, back on that JLA classified, that was, um, Mark Farmer who did the inking on it. And I really, really enjoyed that, that story for the artwork and everything, um, Roger Stern wrote the story. Oh. And the story's okay. It's nothing greatly special. It's got some cool things, and Aquaman has some some pretty cool moments. I mean, everybody gets some pretty cool moments, but I think they really uh, made Aquaman look his best ever that I'd ever seen in a comic book, as far as the character goes. You know, people always, like, kind of sat down on Aquaman and said he's a, you know, useless character, and he came in and showed that he wasn't. That that's just my opinion. It's like I said, it's a good uh, a good story to like if you to to read if you like burn uh, on art. That's the story. Find those. Yeah, I yeah. Okay, well, I can get them to you if you yeah. like. Do you uh, have you read any DC, Dave, or are you a more a Marvel guy? Or I've always been mostly a Marvel guy, but I've I have a lot of DC. I mean, I've read all of of Burns DC stuff as well. The J the JLA stuff. Uh, I don't think I've read his Doom Patrol, but. I've got that. Have you read his Demon Run? I actually quite like his Demon Run. I've got it, but really? I haven't I read it. I, heard it. I heard it. Yeah. 
I know his art style in the demon is so is I mean it's a lot different than what you see in a lot of his other work. It's more uh, I don't know if, I, if if the edgy is the right word for it. But well, uh, yeah, he doesn't shy away from violence and and little kind of kind of gory sometimes. And but there seems to be something a little more organic and, and gooey, yeah. for lack of a better words, to his artwork on the demon series and than in other series. I Probably mean, you just. Look at new, a little less refined is probably yeah. When you look at his Jack Kirby Force World, everything is cold, hard, and uh, yeah. tough. Whereas this is soft and organic and gushy, you know. Well, I think we probably uh, we can wrap this up. We probably kept Dave longer than he wanted to stay, but well, I'm not hey, used Dave? to these two-hour podcasts. I know. <laughs> yeah. We well, hey, Brian and I can't seem to, we can't seem to get off a two-hour podcast. That's all we do. I think the I'm, longest I'm, one I've hey, ever done for the Fantastic Forecast is like maybe close to an hour. Yeah, probably well, the I, one where I, I did like every issue of Secret Wars. <laughs> yeah, I'm amazed that we went this short on a, a, a book that's what 70, 73 pages, seventy four yeah. pages. Gorgeous, yeah. I mean, it's when we did, quick, it's a very quick read for for a seventy three page book, though. Yeah, yeah. A lot of big panels, not a lot of words. Well, uh, I just want to kind of wrap this up, Dave. You want to tell people where they can find you? Uh, my podcast is the Fantastic Forecast, which can be found at you know iTunes or at I don't have the thing written down in front of me, but podbean.com, you can you can find it. Where you I, just search for, uh, yeah, just search for. But I, I highly yeah. recommend it. It's a great podcast. We can be found on Two Two Freaks, which they would know that if they're listening to this. We don't know what we're gonna do for next our next show. Uh, Brian's got some things in the works, but we're not gonna give anything away. Yeah, I've got so- something special cooked up. Yeah. Uh, we did not get our Halloween episode out. We were gonna do Angel series, the Buffy tie-in book but that didn't that didn't come to pass because life got in the way but we're, we're still planning on getting that at one point uh you got anything else brian no i think you covered everything i think that we should just uh i guess say thank you to dave for showing up and dave if you ever show up in texas we don't live too far apart we'd be glad to take you out for a beer or a jumja stick or whatever you like uh-uh. i've never actually been to texas before don't okay. believe what you read in the news we're actually very nice people now what? Now what part of Texas? About where do you are you guys? We're in the Metroplex, which is Dallas Fort Worth area. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I live in North Fort Worth, and he lives in Carrollton, which is uh, further north and east. Dave, we'd love to have you on again. Do you ever? Uh, do you want to come up? You know, we, anything else from Burn that you know you into his X Men stuff, or I know you like She Hulk. So if you ever cover the regular series, we'll have you back on. I. It sounds like I've probably read more John Byrne stuff than you guys have. I don't know. I mean, you I, know. As far as the early stuff goes, I think I've read just about everything up until it was when he when he went to DC. I read, you know, of course, Legends. I read all of his Superman stuff, and then he went back to Marvel. And then once, and it, it goes back to the death of Superman when they killed Superman uh, at DC is pretty much when I'd stopped picking up comics on a regular basis, and I picked up Next Man and Babe. And I, I finished off the Starbrand series, and I think at that point is where I kind of fell off. And uh, you know, I've gone back and picked up a bunch of other stuff. I've picked up the Demon, I've picked up the all the other series. I just haven't read them all, and that's what's killing me. I haven't read I haven't read the 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 Jack Kirby's Fourth World yet, and I, I really am looking forward to the day when I get to sit down and pour through all those. Yeah, the only thing that I can think of that I haven't read is probably I know I haven't read the Doom Patrol series that he did. Mm-hmm. And that's just about all I can think of that comes to mind. Do you read his Star Trek stuff? I, I have. Oh, cool. 
Yeah, we want to cover that sometime. Well, Including the, the Fumini stuff, which is kind of, I'm kind of tired, getting tired of it. I mean, it was kind of neat at first. I kind of wish he would go back to drawing again. Yeah, I'm liking the stories, though. Yeah. Well, he seems like he has discovered, like he's discovered Photoshop, and he's kind of playing in that sandbox now. But, yeah, I agree. I'd kind of like to see him come back and do some more actual uh, pencils. But we may be doing some Star Trek stuff next year because that's the uh, 50th anniversary. So we were thinking of doing maybe an extra podcast a month just covering his Star Trek stuff. So, we could, you know, if you want to come in and we don't care. If you want to come in, anything you want to come out, we don't care having guests on the show. Yeah, I much sure. prefer talking about Star Brand. I would love oh, to do Star Brand. Star Brand. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That was my first choice of doing a podcast. I want to do a Star Brand podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, let me ask you, you know, and, and and you can edit all this out if you want to later, Tim. Uh, yeah, as far as Star Brand goes, now, did how old were you when you first read it? Uh, and I'm talking even, you know, from Shooter's beginnings. At, what is that? 80, 86, probably. Yeah, that's about eighty. So I would have been. I would have been sixteen. Sixteen. Wow. And so reading it then and reading it now, when was the last time? Have you read it recently, read through it recently, or how old was, were you the last time you read through it? a few years since I read read that. Because I found that um, the thing was I, when I was when I first read it, I think I was like 18 or 19. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I read it and there were things about the character I ident- identified with and a lot of things I didn't necessarily identify with. But I really enjoyed the writing back then. And I went back recently and read through all of them. And, you know, I realized how much I didn't like the character anymore. Yeah. But I also realized just how well Jim Shooter had written him because you, you get kind of get this idea of the personality of this guy. And he knew the personality really, really well, all the little ticks and stuff. And then, of course, when Byrne came in and took over the book, you, you got a different angle and you didn't get to see the way that character worked anymore. He was just basically given the story of the brand itself rather than. Yeah, the character Ken yeah. Connell, and so you got away from that. I mean, but, that's a pretty I, amazing book in how what a sharp 180 degree turn that book makes from oh, yeah. Jim Shooter to John to John Byrne, where John Byrne just basically blows up the book. Yeah, yeah, because you know the thing is that was the only book that was selling out of all of them. I think there was one other book that had kind of moderately decent sales. I don't remember if it was Night Masker. Are you telling me Kickers Incorporated was not selling? Come on, <sighs> sorry, maybe. My Just favorite was actually DP Seven. That's mine too. Yeah, I thought that, that book I had really, a lot of premise. Really enjoyed that one, even though now whenever I say that name, I laugh because <laughs> DP is just <laughs> it's a, a sexual connotation to that. It makes me <laughs> giggle. <laughs> I've got a coworker whose initials are DP, and of course, when you you talk with people all day long at work on um, instant message, and so it's like, what do you think, DP? And I laugh every time. <laughs> Anyway, but um, but yeah, no, I, I that that's definitely I'd like to like to go through that because I think that that's one of those things when you're sitting and talking about Burns' work, write and writing it, writing and art, and then the Tom Palmer work on the art really uh, made it made it very unconventional compared to most of Burns' other work. Yeah, well, Tom Palmer is one of my favorite inkers, even though he does kind of overpower the penciler. Mm-hmm. I just you know I love everything he does; it always looks great. Yes. He also did the uh, the X Men Hidden Years as well. Yes. Yeah, that looks. I think that looks fantastic as well. Yeah, I'm really like like I said, I really enjoy it. Um, I'm I'm going through it all right now, so uh, it's rather rather pretty cool. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to have to drop off here soon, or my blood sugar is going to tank. Oh, that's right. I think it's time. I think it's time to wrap this up. 
Yeah, it's ten thirty almost, and I need to have dinner. Yeah, Dave's ahead of us, so. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, thanks, Dave, come, for coming on. Um, you're welcome anytime you want to come back. All right, thank you. All righty, well, for the uh, sixth episode of Third Degree Burn with our guest, Dave Elliott, uh, this is Brian Hughes, and next to me, as always, metaphorically, is Tim Elliott saying good night and have a pleasant next week. <laughs> happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Oh, yes, happy Thanksgiving. That's right. Buy off of Amazon. Use the link on twotruefreaks.com. We get a cut. Well, we don't get a cut. We don't get a cut, but the show, the, the it network does. It keeps the does. lights on. It All keeps right. the lights on. Keeps us warm. Thank you. <laughs> Say All good right. night, Gracie. <laughs> good night. Good night, both of you. Well, Dr. Banner, are you represented by counsel or not? I, I, I can't imagine where she is, Your Honor. I mean... Jennifer Walters for the defense, Your Honor. <laughs> but you can call me the She-Hulk. Please take your seat, Ms. Hulk. Uh, she, Walters. Uh, Ms. Walters. Where were you? Sorting through the latest findings. But she's all you'd ever want. She's the kind I'd like to flaunt and take to dinner. But she always knows her place. She's got style, she's got grace. She's a winner. She's a lady. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Until next time, this has been Third Degree Burn.